Attention broadcasters in the greater Portland area. Your daily show prep begins now. It is one minute and 15 seconds after the hour of five, and this is the month of August in the year of our Lord, 2009. Thank you for coming along and making it part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of Rock 101 KUFO in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. Thank you for joining us. It is the uh, Rick Emerson radio program. It is Wednesday, August 26th, 2009. Coming up today, we will talk to uh, CNN radio correspondent Bob Costantini. About uh, the late Senator Ted Kennedy, which, by the way, I wanted to be known that I deliberately did not send you a text about this last night, Tim. I didn't call you. I didn't email you. Thank, thank you for doing that. I figured that either A, you already knew, because I don't know at what point East Coast relatives start calling relatives who live on the West Coast about such things, or you didn't know. And then the minute I told you, you'd just find yourself in front of CNN sitting there all bleary-eyed till 2.30 in the morning. So I wasn't going to be responsible for your lack of sleep. Well, I, I didn't hear because my sister is still trying to get used to not having dial-up. So usually it takes me a day to get email from the East Coast. And my other relatives know I don't like to talk on the phone, so they wouldn't call me anyway. <laughs> Should we call him? No, no, no. He, uh, no, he avoids, he avoids contact with us. So what, your sister doesn't have... When you say she's trying to get used to not having dial-up, she doesn't have internet at all? No, she she they uh, they recently gave her internet service that didn't have dial-up after the uh, the big ice storms and the mess knocked down all the power lines. So it forced the small towns to modernize. So, she's so just, now she has broadband, which she didn't have before. She's unclear on how to use it? Or she's just not used to having it? Not used to having it. I see. And not so used to the speed of it. She just does. She sit down and get unnerved by it. Does she? You know, she uh, puts her hands on the keyboard and looks at the monitor and then says, "No, no, no, it's just too fast." Uh, your sister's a slow ski, isn't she? Yes, yeah, she one is. Of the, uh, she's one of the slow ski turtles from the uh, Comcast commercial. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, in any event, we'll talk to uh, CNN radio correspondent Bob Costantini uh, today about that. We will uh, have uh, Oregonian music editor Ryan White in the studio with us later on. Pat Jankowitz is the author of Just When You Thought It Was Safe to Go Back in the Water, a Jaws Companion. He's a guy we've been trying to get on the show for a couple weeks now because he's written what is... Most people, when they write a book about Jaws, they focus on just the first one, or occasionally they'll focus on the first one and the sequel, which has got uh, Roy Scheider in it. He's written a book that covers Jaws, Jaws 2, Jaws 3D, and yes, Jaws 4, The Revenge, with Lorraine Gary and uh, Michael Caine. In which, by the way, Michael Caine spends large sections of the movie in the water, and yet every time you see him, totally dry. Every time they cut back to him, wearing clothes, not wet at all. So we'll talk to Pat Jankowitz about that, and uh, we th- this is something that actually just came together last night. Coming up at 6.40 today, and I didn't even know this guy was married to Jenny Garth. You pointed that out to me. He's married to Kelly Taylor. So Peter Facinelli, and you may not know that name, because here's how I explained it to my wife last night. I said, hey, so we're going to be talking to Peter Facinelli. And she said, "Uh, I don't know who that is. And I said, yes, you do. He's that kind of hot slash creepy looking guy 
who uh, plays the patriarch of the Cullen family in the Twilight movie. Yes, he's Dr. Cullen. Dr. Carlisle Cullen. And he's also uh, in Can't Hardly Wait, which is what I knew him from. He's Mike, who is who plays uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt's boyfriend. And he's kind of the skeezy boyfriend guy. Mm-hmm. Plus, he's in Nurse Jackie, which is that new Edie Falco show uh, that is uh, premiering on Showtime. So, anyway, there you go. Uh, so, big uh, stuff to get through today. Ryan White from The Oregonian, Peter Facinelli from Twilight, Pat Jankowitz, the author of The Jaws Companion, Bob Costantini uh, about Ted Kennedy, and CNN Radio correspondent James Roop, who will... I mean, the amount of time it just takes now to list the things that they found in Michael Jackson's body. I was watching Anderson Cooper last night. The best part was that they had Dr. Drew on, and I think he made the same statement on Monday. Where Drew said that quite literally, and he took great pains to note that it wasn't just a figurative elephant, that quite literally an actual elephant would right. be knocked over by the amount of drugs they were giving Michael Jackson. I mean, he weighed 105 pounds. I mean, yeah, he, he weighs, I mean, slightly more than my dog. Basically, <laughs> I mean, we should at some point today we should go over the actual. I mean, something list. that lounges on my couch, if it would have been given the same amount of drugs, and he managed to live through all that time and time again. And if you saw the timeline of when they were giving him said drugs, it wasn't just that it was like in a ten oh one, ten oh two, ten oh three, ten oh four, ten oh five. Give me another one. Give me another one. Give me another one. Give me. It was. It Let was, me take a break and use the restroom. Then I'll be back with more drugs. That's really what it was. You, I mean, Michael Jackson was. He, he was like one of those animals in a. Uh, he was like anim, one of those animals in a test facility they have at OHSU. You know what I mean? Where it's like they would get like a Labrador retriever, and every time the every time the lab hits a uh, every time he hits a button, he gets a shot of cocaine or something. But with Michael Jackson, it was like some rotating roulette wheel of narcotics. Anyway. So, but, but, uh, I mean, it's amazing how much a small body like that could hold. I mean, sans the nose. I mean, maybe there was extra space there to put more drugs in. I don't know. Look, if it's all the same to you, I'd like my nostrils removed and just replaced with some sort of an automated drug dispenser. Is that possible? Great. All right. That's fantastic. My man will cut you a check. Uh, we'll also have a pair of passes for you to see Inglorious Bastards, the new Quentin Tarantino film. And uh, last but certainly not least, a pair of tickets to see Joe Rogan. Um, he's going to be calling the UFC fight on Saturday, but uh, the night before the day after tomorrow at the Aladdin, he'll be doing his uh, stand-up. Uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented uh, Sarah X. Dillon, wearing black today. Is this in honor of Ted Kennedy? Yes, of course. No, this is what I wore. Yeah, I went to a show last night, and so... I said, just lay it out. You're just wearing last night's clothes. <laughs> I sure am. See, I gave you an out there. I, uh, but I, don't they look? At least they're nice last no, night's no, no. clothes. No, you look. And it's don't... a nice outfit, but I yes, I did wear it last night. You but, didn't, but you didn't sleep in these. You just no. sort of, you just didn't. You want to rummage around and look for new clothing. No, I went to uh, Doug for last night because my friends uh, are in this band called Appomattox from Brooklyn. I actually just saw them so weird because it was you know I saw them in New York last week and then they ended up touring through Portland. So I went and saw them play last night, which is really good. But yes, I. Uh, yeah, I went to bed, and then I just laid these all out like there was a little you know, person who had deflated inside of them. And then when I woke up this morning, just put them all back on. It was like uh, like you were Sam Merlot, and you just, uh, you'd morphed yourself into a house fly. Completely. All right. Yes. Hey, by the way, I should say, just real quickly, my wife kind of gives me crap sometimes for the, for the shows that I watch, for the stuff that we talk about. She was at some social event last night, and she said that almost in a row, she talked to three or four different people, and completely apropos of nothing, the first person brought up True Blood, the second person brought up Mad Men, third person brought up Californication. And so she came home and she actually apologized to me uh, for making fun of the fact that I watch uh, such, what she perceives to be crap television. Do you know 5.4 million people watched True Blood this past weekend? It was the most watched episode in that show's history. Ever. Ever. It, was, it went from like 4.2 uh, the previous week to like 5.4. Jesus. I mean, so look, I may have bad taste, but my countrymen are like lockstep with me oh, yeah. on that. 
No, you. I, that's the. That's it's the uniter. You be out in public. You can be out in public anywhere and mention like uh, Fangtasia or Sam Lot or anything, and all of a sudden. People are starting to join into your conversation. It's the only thing that brings us together as people. It's amazing. At the news desk, ladies and gentlemen, let's pay a visit to your personal savior, Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. Good morning, everyone, from the KUFO News Center in downtown Portland. 508 now. It's going to be a sunny day today for us. High temperatures in the 80s. Back into the 90s tomorrow. Awful sad news this morning. Ted Kennedy has died after a long battle with a brain tumor. He died last night at the Kennedy compound in Hyannisport. He was 77 years old. A statement from his family reads, Edward M. Kennedy, the husband, father, grandfather, brother, and uncle we love so deeply, died late Tuesday night at his home in Hyannisport. We have lost the irreplaceable center of our family and joyous light in our lives. But the inspiration of his faith, optimism, and perseverance will live on in our hearts forever. We thank everyone who gave him care and support over this last year, and everyone who stood with him for so many years in his tireless march for progress toward justice, fairness, and opportunity for all. He loved this country, and he devoted his life to serving it. He always believed that our best days were still ahead, but it's hard to imagine any of them without him. So that's from CNN. I just, I don't know. I, I just don't even know where to begin because, first of all, I'm not. I, I mean, growing up in America, you just know who Ted Kennedy is. He's just a huge part of not just the political landscape, but everybody. I mean, the Kennedys are so finely interwoven with American popular culture. I don't really know what is left of the the Kennedy dynasty at this point. I mean, there's like a hundred other Kennedys that do but stuff. There, but there's Patrick, who uh, is yeah. in politics from uh, Connecticut. Not Connecticut, uh, Rhode Island, and he was the one that just went to rehab. So there's always a Kennedy in rehab somewhere. <laughs> Tag, you're in. Now, Teddy Jr., the last time I heard, was working with Citizens Energy in uh, Boston. And then there's uh, another daughter. Who was the Kennedy that, uh, what was that thing that happened in the, was it the, in the 90s where there was that woman who was supposedly assaulted at the Kennedy, the Kennedy compound? The guy was on trial. That made, you... Oh, yeah, that was, uh, that was one of the, that was Timothy Shriver. Okay, all right, so he wasn't like an actual that Kennedy. That was Eunice's... No, no, he, he was a Kennedy cousin. All right. That's, that would be Eunice Shriver's son, who Eunice who passed away last it's week. It's also confusing. Who are the Shrivers? How do they... How Sergeant do they Shriver married Eunice Shriver, who is one of the Kennedy sisters. All right, so... She, she is JFK, Bobby Kennedy, and, and Ted Kennedy's sister, Eunice. All right, so he would have the, been... Because the, the Kennedy girl, the Kennedy women kind of stay out of the spotlight unless it's election time. And that's when they're, they're sort of rolled they're, they're out on stage. School, uh, Catholic Democrats. <laughs> you just stand off to the side and look pretty. Make me Basically, pie. yes. So he, uh, so that guy who, because I remember that trial was a big deal. Right, that's uh, Timothy Schreiber. That would have been Ted Kennedy's nephew. Nephew. All right, okay. It's all very confusing. But uh, Ted Kennedy uh, represented the Commonwealth of Massachusetts since 1962. He was elected to uh, uh, complete JFK's term in the Senate. That's how right. he got there. And he had no accomplishments Aside from the fact that he's the president's brother, we must elect him. Everybody thought he was kind of a lightweight. Isn't that the right. deal? When he first got in in 62, they were like, ah, well, he's just kind of coasting on the yeah. on the name. And then he ended up being, I think he's like the third longest serving senator or something in he U.S. Is, history. He's uh, served the Commonwealth since 1962, 47 years, almost 47 years. So uh, no matter what he did, he was always forgiven and voted back into office 
And that's the way Massachusetts politics goes, really. That's just All you got to be is Catholic and a Democrat. By the way. And you get to keep your job. I would like to know that we can't take any any blame for this. I mean, we were off the air when this happened, but it wasn't like everybody was predicting when I said I was going to go to the East Coast. God, I mean, he probably lived longer because I didn't go to Boston. Well, Eunice died a couple days before you got there. Well, that's true. But maybe, you don't consider her an official candidate. Maybe just by maybe just by flying over Massachusetts, I did bring a little bit of uh, early grim news to the Kennedy family. All right, bad yeah, bad things happen to Kennedys who fly over Massachusetts. <laughs> You're a bad person. You're allowed. Well, to- I, I'm trying to make myself feel a little bit better because I have to motor through this today. All right. Well, straight ahead, we will talk to uh, CNN radio correspondent Bob Costantini, who will uh, give us the uh, the CNN perspective on this and uh, talk to us about the uh, the overview of Ted Kennedy's career. Coming up later on, we'll talk to Jim Root from CNN Radio Los Angeles and more. Stay there. We are live from beautiful downtown Portland. It's the Rick Emerson Show. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. One-stop shopping for all your cult-like devotion. <laughs> It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for joining us. It's Wednesday morning. Coming up later on, CNN Radio correspondent Jim Roop will uh, join us from Los Angeles. Talk to Oregonian music editor Ryan White. And uh, from the movie Twilight, Peter Facinelli will be joining us. I'm going to ask him what it's like to be married to Jenny Garth, just so you know. Just so I can get that awkwardness out of the way right now. Okay, that's I'm also going to ask him if Jenny Garth is weirded out by the fact that he's got teenage girls following him everywhere he goes. I mean, not as much as the Edward guy, but still. Ladies and gentlemen, let us pay a visit to uh, the hill. This is CNN radio correspondent Bob Costantini. Good morning, Bob Costantini. How are you on this fine Wednesday? Good morning, Rick. Uh, pleasure to talk to you again. Uh, it is. Uh, it has been too long, uh, the, the, my friend. It's. Uh, so I will kind of just—I know you got a busy day going on today. There's a lot of uh, a lot of news sort of unfolding because of the Ted Kennedy thing. Here's a silly question. This was obviously something they they knew was was coming down the pike at some point. I mean, he's been sick for a long time, and everybody yeah. knew he had, had cancer. So to what to what degree does this does this derail whatever the the Democratic Party was working on right now? Because he's a guy that kind of seemed like a guy who was he was seemed like one of those guys who was going to die at his desk. You know what I mean? One of those guys who was just going to be working up to the very end. So how much does this throw a hitch into everything? Well, there's certainly a contemporary aspect to all of this, because um, in recent days, Rick, we've been hearing from uh, some Republicans regarding the health care debate and about how sorely Ted Kennedy uh, is be- it has been missed as far as this debate is concerned, while you know so much vitriol has been flying um, you know at these town hall meetings and elsewhere over this problem over the situation. Um, you know a lot of Republicans are remembering him as someone who would work with them uh, on any major piece of legislation and uh, you know you may recall uh, that when no child left behind was proposed by President Bush, Senator Kennedy got on board with it. Uh, you know, he was criticized in some circles for that. Um, but, uh, you know, again, he's being remembered by and large from uh, both sides of the aisle as somebody who would uh, work across the aisle and would compromise uh, considerably. That was actually going to be my, my next question, is that everybody sort of views him, I think, over the last few years, there's somebody, but he's been used as such a polarizing figure. I think at one point the Republican Party was actually using just sure. his image in a lot of their literature because they realized they they did some study and they found that they put a picture of Ted Kennedy that they would actually, uh, you know, the amount of money that their that their you know members of the party would contribute would go up because he was seen as so divisive. But that was kind of at odds with 
with the reality in a lot of ways. He was a guy, he seemed a lot more moderate than maybe his detractors gave him credit for. Well, his moderation came when it came time to getting legislation done, that's for sure. Um, he, you know, you can say he didn't compromise on his principles, perhaps, uh, but a lot of times he gave. He bent a little bit uh, rather than stand on his principles to the point of, you know, uh, scuttling legislation. Um, you know, that's, that's what we're hearing so much about. I mean, the praise is coming in uh, not only from uh, President Obama, uh, from whom we'll actually hear um, shortly about this, but uh, uh, former President Jimmy Carter, we've heard Republican senators, uh, and, and Carter is important, of course, because uh, Kennedy in 1980 challenged Carter right. uh, for the Democratic nomination. But Republican senators, we've heard uh, statements of condolences from uh, the United Kingdom, former, former British Prime Minister Tony Blair as well, and uh, the Nelson Mandela Foundation and the Israeli government. So uh, that's a mark of the man, I suppose. So what, uh, happens, what, happens, to his, uh, what happens to his Senate seat now? Well, this is the interesting thing. Uh, before he died, one of his last official acts, uh, Senator Kennedy sent a letter to uh, Governor Deval Patrick of Massachusetts asking him and the legislature to try to change the law so that uh, Patrick would be able to appoint someone uh, immediately there to fill the term uh, so they wouldn't have to wait for several months for a special election. Interestingly enough, though, the Democrats have responded a bit coldly to that, and Republicans have responded in Massachusetts, I should say, have responded uh, very, uh, very upset about that because it was in 2004 that the Democrats pushed through this legislation when John Kerry had the possibility of uh, becoming uh, the president. Uh, and uh, his Senate seat would then have been filled by Mitt Romney. So they changed the law because Mitt Romney was governor at that time. Uh, so it's uh, it's going to be an interesting little back and forth to see what happens there in Massachusetts. I should say, by the way, that I, I had forgotten that Mitt Romney even existed until yeah. just now. So uh, <laughs> there you go. So if nothing else, you've actually reminded me that that guy's out and around there somewhere. He's well, Mitt Romney is sort of like a he's kind of like a brown corduroy jacket that you bought one time or that maybe your mom gave you and you stuck in the back of a closet and you sort of forgot it was there until you were rooting around for something to give to the Salvation Army. All right. Okay. On that note, my friend, Bob Costantini from The Hill. Thank you for joining us, sir. Uh, Rick, is always a pleasure. All right, there you go. Our good friend, Bob Costantini, joining us from The Hill. It's the uh, Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. It's 503-228-4101. You can also text if you like. It's 52051, or you can email Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah with an H at KUFO.com. Nibbler, N-I-B-L-E-R, is the uh, email address uh, for Greg Nibbler. Nibbler at KUFO.com. And Tim at KUFO.com. Uh, we come back to more from Tim Riley. What headlines are we following for the good people of Portland today? Okay, we continue to uh, follow the life of Ted Kennedy. Also, John McCain gets booed by his own right-wing whack jobs in the public meeting. This is kind of interesting. And uh, he also gets booed for defending the president in front of that same group. Also, uh, Obama's great-uncle, the what is a great uncle? Doesn't know much about health care. I don't know, but I said, but he looks exactly like Hunter Thompson. I, last night, my, uh, Laura was watching the news, and she said, hey, look at this guy. And I came out, and she said, who is this? She, I mean, she was sort of quizzing me. She goes, you know, who, who's this guy on the screen right now? And I looked, and I said, Hunter Thompson. And she said, that's what I thought. And it's, not, it's, it's Obama's great uncle. And I have no idea. I don't know if great uncle is one of those... If it's like one of those colloquial terms, it really didn't have any meaning to it. You know what I mean? It's sort of like... Uh, you it's know. some long-lost relative trying to attach themselves <laughs> to somebody that doesn't even know who they are. Some, 
is a, a, some sort of a relative-based succubus. It, it, it's what happened when I, I traveled to uh, Poland for the first time. I was the first family member back even before World War II. And all of a sudden, I discovered I had all these lost relatives, and I had no idea how I was related to them. Nice to meet you. Do you have $5? Exactly. Me? Would you like some fish head soup? <laughs> it looks delicious, but I'm not hungry. <laughs> May I come live in your basement? You sound like Bill. I was just—I was going to. Well, Everything see, but, sounds like Bill now. Whenever you yell, it's like it's either Bill Compton from uh, from True Blood or like Bill meets a strong bad somehow. That's fantastic. All right, straight ahead, uh, we will have news from Tim Riley, uh, ladies and gentlemen, coming up later on. Oregonian music editor Ryan White, Peter Facinelli from Twilight will be joining us at six forty, and Pat Jankowitz, author of Just When You Thought It Was Safe to Go Back in the Water, a Jaws companion. Also, a pair of tickets to see Inglorious Bastards. It's all in the way. Stay there. This is the Rick Emerson Show. And Rock 101 KUFO. Broadcasting in color. Huh? Yeah, that's right. Who's rigged now, Mr. Riggy Man? The Rick Anderson Show returns. Awesome. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for joining us today. Right, today's one of those, I, I mean, 541, it already feels uh, like we got about nine hours of show that we packed in so yes. far, with another 15 to go, which I mean in the best way possible. Still to come today, we'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Did you say that she was at one of these nutcase town hall meetings? She was there. Was she at the place where, they, where Obama's great uncle, who looks a lot like Dr. Gonzo from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, uh, okay. was that? Uh, she was at the one uh, with, with a Virginia congressman and Howard Dean, where President Obama was depicted as a slave driver, and several men ran around in flags depicting assault weapons. He was depicted as a slave driver? Mm-hmm. That's, That's awkward in any number of levels. Weird. Uh, yes, it is. Tim. It's a certain thought process <laughs> that is the, that's uh, shared by just too many people <laughs> for any of us to be comfortable at any time. Well, I think it's, you know, and I kind of go out of my way. I, this makes me sound like I'm out of touch, but I, I go out of my way not to watch The Daily Show that often because I find that I will inadvertently lift jokes from John Stewart sometimes. And I try not to do that. I, you know, I try never just to sort of Xerox anybody else's material. But when I watch John Stewart, I'll find that a lot of his phrases, because they're so well-crafted, will fall into my lexicon, and I'll repeat them without realizing that I'm doing it. I don't want to look like a, I don't want to look like the Carlos Mencia of, uh, you know, of morning radio. Um, so... It, it, but he did have this. He had a great response to that thing where Barney Frank was at the town hall meeting. The woman stood up and she screamed, you know, like you're Nazis, and you know. And he, it was that he he went back at her with the on on what planet do you spend most of your time? But Stewart noted that the idea that a in this case Barney Frank, the idea that a gay Jew and a and a black man were somehow being accused of being Nazis uh, was. This is altogether puzzling. It's a strange time in which we're living. I do sort of wish that Ted Kennedy had lived, you know, had lived longer, if for no other reason than just to see this insanity continue to play out. Later on today, we will talk to uh, Pat Jankowitz. He's the author of Just When You Thought It Was Safe to Go Back in the Water, a Jaws companion. Ryan White, music editor from The Oregonian, will be here. We'll talk about uh, the upcoming Kiss and Aerosmith tours, and he'll be counting down the top five TV themes of all time. And from Twilight... Peter Facinelli will be uh, on the phone with us later on this morning. At the news desk, it is your personal savior, Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. Good morning from the KUFO News Center in downtown Portland, 543. It's going to be mostly sunny today, highs in the 80s, and back up into the 90s tomorrow. We're awaiting uh, live comments from President Obama on the death of Ted Kennedy. We'll bring those to you as soon as we get them. Just two weeks before his death, Senator Kennedy received the nation's highest honor awarded to a civilian. 
the seriously ill Kennedy wasn't able to attend the April 11th ceremony when the president conferred on him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. President Obama said Kennedy's roughly half-century of public service was, quote, making a difference for all of us. And here is that comment. Making a difference for that soldier fighting for freedom, that refugee looking for a way home, that senior searching for dignity, that worker striving for opportunity, that student aspiring to college, that family reaching for the American dream. And by the way, if you look online, I was just over looking at Tim's computer. We're seeing some of the news feeds, and it's just these static shots. Is that the Ted? Is that the Kennedy compound? That is that the Kennedy showing? compound. Is that in Hyannisport? Hyannisport. There, uh, the two cops of Hyannisport <laughs> so got, are standing outside Earl the Kennedy Zeke. compound. Yeah, these, you know, the two guys are just sort of standing there, like the opening credits of King of the Hill, just sort of chewing on straw, and then the camera is just this one unbroken shot of the Kennedy compound with the water yeah. in front. And, and, really, and of course, you can't get anywhere near the Kennedy compound no, anyway. No, there's. Probably automated missile defense systems. There are probably alligators in that little body of water (laughs) between the shoreline of Hyannis and the Kennedy compound. And the cameras are on it as though Ted Kennedy is just going to appear and walk across the water out to do a press conference or something, which I guess is not like out of the question, depending on one's faith. So we're expecting words from the president any moment now. We'll get back to that. Now, back to these nutcases. We have more of them. John McCain is booed by these whack jobs at a public meeting last night, and he, he actually is trying to put some order back into this meeting and unsuccessfully. I would like to know how the president is getting by with all of this money. Uh, It's against the Constitution. Doesn't he know that we still live under a Constitution? Sure, I'm sure that he does. I'm sure. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm serious. I'm sure that he does, and I'm sure that he respects the Constitution of the United States. No, 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 no. no, no I, we can't have that. I, no, I, I, re- I really do. I, I am absolutely convinced of it. I just believe, my friends, that there is a fundamental difference in philosophy and about the role of government. That's why we have competition for public office and competition amongst parties and competition about, about different ideas and visions for the future of America. Boy, there's got to be something disheartening about He almost about- tried to get the wheels of their brains turning, but he knew <laughs> no matter what he said, he would be unsuccessful. So he gave the Reader's Digest version of what he really wanted to say. It's like water off a duck, those thoughts. There's got to be something uniquely disheartening about going out and meeting your followers and realizing they're all retards. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? You like to think that you're reaching the upper crust, you know, the, the you know the most intelligent sections of America, that you are speaking to the bright, shining, it's like, go- golden few. And then you go out and you Am really- I a guest on Hee Haw? <laughs> And he realized that everybody who follows you is just a slack-jawed idiot. Good God. So here's one more. It's like listening to the... I uh, the president is absolutely sincere in his beliefs. But he is... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He is sincere in his beliefs. We just, we just happen to disagree, and he is the president of the United States, and let's be respectful. Yes, in the back there. Yes. It's like, I can't believe that this is the party core. Yet it is. It's like seeing that town hall meeting from, uh, from Blazing Saddles, you know? Jesus. All right. I agree with Navin Johnson. God almighty. And the uh, every time I watch Mad Men, by the way, ever since last year, when they bring on what's-his-name Gene, who's Betty's dad on Mad Men, and he's got the Alzheimer's, every time they roll that guy into the screen, he looks like John McCain. It was just not... You know, oh, not just a, the picture of him, like, grabbing Betty's ass. Oh, God. Oh, it was, that was so and awful. And that's the, the... Just back on Mad Men for a second, because when they first introduced that character as... And I, I forget if we'd seen him before, but when, the, when they introduced Betty Draper's dad on Mad Men, 
and he clearly is in the early stages of you know, some sort of dementia or senility or whatever. And we, I maybe mean, the next day, we all wondered if it was sort of intentional that he looked a lot like John McCain. But they had that. It's one of the most awkward things I've ever seen on television, which is where he confused his daughter with his ex-wife and like was goosing her. Ugh. And and the the really great and clever thing about that from a writer the point of view from the you know from a creative aspect is that now every time he's on the screen you're waiting for that to happen again i mean i brace myself every time they show like i'm like oh god he's not gonna grab his daughter's ass again and i just and i find myself sort of like watching with one eye and pulling back from the tv all right here's tim riley well if if you're a kennedy who doesn't behave you either get sent to get a lobotomy or you get sent to live in oregon jackie onassis's half brother is facing oregon child porn charges Apparently, he's lived here for quite some time, and nobody ever mentioned him. His name is, is uh, James Ashenkloss. He's 62, and uh, his claim to fame was, every, every Kennedy has a claim to fame here, he was the one that carried the wedding train of Jackie's gown when she got married to JFK in 1953. And then he moved to Washington, D.C. Then he moved to the small Oregon college town of Ashland in the mid-'90s, an investigation reveals that he likes uh, child porn a little bit too much. So <laughs> a little bit too much, <laughs> more than your average Kennedy. Is that the is that the legal distinction that yeah. they've made? You are charged with enjoying child pornography to an unacceptable degree. All right. Well, in any event, the is the the Kennedy family sort of seems like the Jackson family in the sense that. Anybody who ever knew anybody in that family or was related or married into that family for more than seven minutes will at some point write a tell-all book or there'll be a guest on Larry King you know, to, to, to discuss their interactions with that, uh, with that clan of folks. They have a beautiful lawn at the Kennedy compound. Are you? I'm just admiring. I hope my uh, homeowners association <laughs> is watching this now and, well, and can correct and make it look a little bit more like that. You need something to lure in the women on the weekend, Tim. Probably so. I remember that when I was, um, I don't know how, however old I was, and they started, I first heard the phrase Kennedy compound. And I don't really know from, from where that phrase derives or uh, how the, old that building is. It's well, no, the house, though, right? Well, I mean, it, it is the original Joe Kennedy mansion and the other Kennedy houses where they all lived at one time. Uh, Bobby Kennedy's house, um, JFK's house, and I think Ted Kennedy had one there, too, at one time. So there are at least three other houses besides the mansion, and Joe Kennedy wanted all the Kennedys living in the same place so he could keep tabs on so them. So this is like the... So this, so he, he could advise them in their best interest <laughs> at all times. And that's, and what that's he where did. The, the compound derived its origination. Uh, who better to advise you on your political career than an evil bootlegger? So he th- was, th- this was sort of like, um, this was like the Waco compound then, where he just kind of wanted everybody within sight, or the Manson family, perhaps. But there's no like, there's no like a big wall or something around it. Well, is no, it, but you, can't, you can't get there. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to compare looking. the. Uh, I didn't mean to compare the Kennedys to the Manson was, family. Just yes, now. I know that was a that but was I mean, a bit too much. But you know what I'm saying? That Joe Kennedy had a very he, but that guy specifically, he was very much the patriarch in every sense of the yes. word. He had a very strong grip on the family, as you put he it. He was the Don Draper of the Kennedy family. Yes, he was one and now. See now, I and I mean this in the I mean this in the best way when I say he was almost the Don Corleone of the of. Of the Kennedy family, I didn't say that. Yes. And was, no, no, no. I'm saying, but I mean, it, you know, I have to go back there eventually. I, <laughs> <laughs> you never have to visit. Are they going to? That they, was an option that you didn't take this time. They wouldn't call you a. I uh, like to see you visit now. <laughs> <laughs> 
There are MP3s of this program available to download at your leisure. Stop me at the border and just take me into a room. And while they're hammering my kneecaps with something heavy, they'll uh, be playing back a tape of me referring to the Kennedys as being like the Manson family. Which I just, I only mean that Joe had a very iron grip on that on that group of folks. And I don't know, once Joe Kennedy died, it, I don't know if there, anybody ever sort of took over that mantle. Uh, it's the thing, things did seem to start disintegrating once Joe Kennedy wasn't around to sort of keep everybody in line. I will say this, that... The trust funds still keep people in line. <laughs> You'll be the, the threat of having to get a real job. Mm-hmm. Um, the threat of not having the family's legal protection should something go awry with you and a co-ed. Yes. The, the thing that intrigues me about the Kennedys, though, is how much, as the, the thing people say a lot, but how much we all just sort of took a vote at one point and decided that they were going to be our royal family. You know, Britain obviously has an actual royal family, and that was one of those things we obviously couldn't leave behind when we came to the New World, and we had to replace them with something, and the Kennedys were just sort of it. They, they were sold back in the days of the Mad Men as That's the right. family. That's right. Do East Coasters have a term for West Coast people? Because I was thinking that we, I was thinking you were talking about having to go back to visit your relatives uh, and having been tainted by the uh, the awful aura of this program. Well, I'm, I'm the first one to ever move out here. So they wouldn't call you a Yankee if you went back there. That's a Southern Northern thing. Yeah, they they don't. Is they there don't an, is there a derogative term that people on the East Coast use for people here? There's no sort of no. No one's ever heard of Oregon back. They call it Oregon. <laughs> Oregon. That's, that's well, right. I didn't. I never heard of it before I moved here because you live in California and you don't pull down the map that far. I've learned, by the way, if I, I, uh, nothing's above San Francisco for I, California. I refer to Oregon as being above California sometimes. Yeah, I've learned that if I'm talking to people from other countries, especially. People from other countries have an advanced case of what people in New York and Los Angeles have, which is that they don't know anything between the two, between California and New York. Like, that's it. And sometimes they'll know Florida, uh, I think, because it sounds silly, but I think largely because it has such a distinctive shape on the map. It's like the big, it's the corner of the, of, of mm-hmm. the country. But they'll say, oh, Oregon, where is that? And I'll say, it's above California. And then they immediately know where it is. They, and they that's ask the, if you live on a farm. That's exactly, or if I've met Elvis. <laughs> well, I had to ask several questions. I had to find someone from Oregon before I moved up here because I had several questions that nobody could answer. Like, what does this place look like? <laughs> How will I know no, nobody I in California knows what Oregon looks like. <laughs> what should I bring with they, me? They know it's on the same coast, but they don't know what else you might find in the state. It, it's vast and endless, really. It's like one of those uh, It's like one of those maps of the days of the Roman Empire where everything... People every- had heard of Beaverton, but couldn't describe it. <laughs> everything outside of Rome is just like this vague wash of just uh, of sepia-toned nothing. Let's do well, what was the original here. question? I have no idea. Oh, I was. Well, let's, at, let's talk about things that relate to more of us here at home. Uh, many meth labs are sprouting up just about everywhere. You've probably seen them on the east side. Uh, shake and bake meth is the uh, new big thing. It can be cooked with nothing more than an empty bottle, over-the-counter cold medication, and household containers. This from the Oregon Meth Task Force. Well, see, now your tenants aren't going to be causing any trouble with explosions, Tim. They can make it in small batches. So if they want to prevent meth, why do they keep telling us how to make better, quicker, faster meth? Here's the thing about this meth recipe. That is a good question. It's not even illegal. That's the weird thing about this. Can you imagine Julia Child in a meth? Oh! Oh, I've blown off my hand! <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that out there. Is it because you knew I would immediately do something like that? I need a little cheering up this morning. <laughs> Yes, oh, there's it. somebody looking in the window. We have to make Tim laugh today. Oh, make the voices stop. And see, now I've become Mr. Bill. Uh, the, the voice immediately morphed into the voice. It immediately went from Julie Childs of Mr. Bill to Mickey Mouse. Um, the thing about these these mini batches of meth, I was watching a, a thing about this on the news the other day. It's really called shake and bake meth. Yeah, because it's... Uh, because Can you it, get them at a drive-up since they're just minis? 
Uh, just as opposed to like full a, size, it's like a personal pan pizza or something. Yes. Like a single, just a serve, single serving. Is there for a place me, on eighty second where you might drive up and? Well, the answer to that is yes. I mean, of course. The, the thing about it is that meth labs typically, you know, it is a, like a big laboratory. Set. It looks like this. You know what it looks like? Meth labs, uh, at least from what I've seen, they look like the still on uh, on Mash. Uh, you know, where Hawkeye and those guys had that like thing that made gin in their tent, and it's like all of these tubes and pipes and wires and. And people think that, it, like, if you do a lot of drugs, you're somehow, uh, you know, like an idiot. And it's not that. It's like, it'd be, I think if you're, like, a serious drug user or, or junkie or something, you're like an idiot savant. Because if you've ever known anybody who had a serious drug problem, I mean, they, it's like they have some part of their brain, the part that deals with drugs is just, like, hyper-developed. I mean, and they don't know how to do anything else, like bathe uh, or get a job, but they know how to do anything you could possibly imagine, uh, knowing, you know, regarding drugs. But the thing with the meth labs is they're always blowing up and they're exploding and you're going to buy all this crap or whatever. They call it shake and bake because on the news, the guy had, um, it was like one of those gallons. told me they had a news reporter making meth. They, well, he was simulating it. He was, he was saying like, now these aren't actual ingredients to, to make meth, Ted, but theoretically speaking, and it was like a gallon milk jar or jug, you know, like a thing you buy at the store, like a plastic jug of milk. And I guess you put in like five like uh, Sudafed capsules and then some other crap, and then you shake it, and bam, bada-bing, meth. And the thing about it is it's so few uh, of those capsules that it's not illegal. So that's the thing that's screwing the cops right now is because it's in such small batches that there's nothing illegal about it. So, you know, have at it, I guess. Straight ahead, we'll have more from Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen. Plus, Lisa Desjardins will uh, join us with her thoughts on Ted Kennedy. And uh, she probably won't uh, call them whack jobs, but these these fine folks that are showing up at the town hall meetings as well. And later on, a pair of tickets to see Inglorious Bastards. Stay right there! The Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. That's right, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for joining us. It's 503-228-4101 on this Wednesday. Coming up this hour, CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins weighs in on the passing of Ted Kennedy. Uh, she loves to talk about this. I, I'm going to have her explicate the nature of, of this relationship between the Hunter Thompson-looking guy and, and Obama. Greg so this is, is his great uncle? Which I guess is the, I guess that is your grandfather's brother. This is what Greg is saying. Yeah, somebody, yeah, somebody text message and said that it's the great uh, great uncle is the brother of one of your grandparents. I don't really care all that much. I just don't like not knowing things. Coming up later on, Oregonian music editor Ryan White will be in the studio with us. He'll be counting down the uh, top five TV theme songs of all time. And Pat Jankowitz, author of Just When You Thought It Was uh, Safe to Go Back in the Water, a Jaws companion, will be with us as well. At the news desk, it's your personal savior, Tim Riley. <laughs> In the news with Tim Riley. Good morning, everyone, from the KUFO News Center downtown Portland. 609 now. It's going to be a mostly sunny day today. Highs in the 80s. It's going to be back into the 90s tomorrow. Senator Edward Kennedy has died after a long battle with a brain tumor. He was 77. He was first elected in 1962 to finish out the term of his brother JFK and was re-elected by the people of Massachusetts eight times. In 2008, Kennedy suffered a seizure and then another one as he was rushed from the Kennedy compound in Hyannisport to Cape Cod Hospital. Then by helicopter mass general in Boston. He died at the Kennedy compound last night. Here's a Ted Kennedy. 
for those who remember, back in 1980, he was serious, kind of, about uh, running for president. And here he is at the uh, Democratic National Convention back in 1980. The work goes on. The cause endures. The hope still lives. And the dream shall never die. Now, he was beaten by Jimmy Carter in uh, that election. And, I mean, they really brought out the serious Kennedy stuff for that. Right. And uh, I remember covering that election when they came to New Hampshire. Well, and being beaten by Jimmy Carter's got to be embarrassing for the Kennedy family because he was like a peanut farmer. Yeah, with nobody behind him. He was just a rube. Yeah, uh, and that's what people wanted at that time. Because it was the post-Watergate thing, and it was sort of this, I, I hate that phrase, perfect storm. It's just become such a cliche. But it was, it, but it was all of that stuff, everything came together in just the right way. For I mean, it, it, I was going to compare him to Jesse Ventura, but, the, but it was sort of the same thing. They wanted an anti-politician. They wanted a guy who almost wasn't a politician at all in any way, which is Jimmy Carter. Who you look back in retrospect, and it's just sort of, it's just kind of odd. It's like how we all decided to make Kenny G famous at one point, yeah. and we all decided to elect Jimmy Carter president, which is sort of mind-boggling. But you know, what do I know? And then all the violence went off TV, and people were trying to reason with each other. Right. <laughs> That's just crazy. And it didn't work. You, and then they elected Reagan, and people started. Bashing each other over the head again. Here's also what didn't work. Jimmy Carter going on television and encouraging us all to wear a sweater. That's I remember that. I don't know what year that would have been. That would have been maybe... D- dur- during the energy crisis. Like 78 or like, something? Go to the bathroom in the dark and wear sweaters. <laughs> if it's act, not- act like it's, it's the Blitz of 1940. If it's yellow, let it mellow. That is our energy policy. Yeah, it didn't work for, very well. Wasn't Jimmy Carter the one who told the story about being attacked by a rabbit? I don't remember that one. I think Jimmy Carter, I think, told the story about how he was canoeing in the middle of a lake and a rabbit swam out and attacked him. It attacked the oar as he was canoeing across a lake. I don't think I'm making this up. I might be, but I don't think I am. Rabbits are scary. It was, I, Jimmy Carter, I remember three things about him. One, getting on television during the energy crisis and talking about how the key was not to like create alternative energy. The key wasn't to like get more oil. The key wasn't what the key was to wear a sweater, which Americans don't like to be told. That's like when you tell an American, look, the key to losing weight might be diet and sensible exercise. That's a thing that they don't want to, you know, nobody and wants at to. that time. The only person who could get away with wearing sweaters every day was Mr. Rogers. That's really it. Um, so the, he did that. He said that he, he admitted to lusting in his heart for somebody. But I remember who he did the Playboy interview, which was that. Carter was a little scandalous uh, in some ways because he was interviewed by Playboy magazine, which was considered a little controversial. Uh, you know, and then probably even now it might even be that way more now because I don't think you'd I don't think you'd see a president now sitting down for the extensive Playboy interview. But Carter got interviewed by Playboy I could see magazine. Obama doing it almost. Maybe I think Obama could because he's got so much style to him mm-hmm. and because he just kind of has that I don't give a rip. Sort of a thing. I don't think there's anything to be gained by a Playboy interview anymore, though. Probably, I, I think Playboy's too far over the hill. I don't know what the current Playboy would be. I I don't know. I mean, I something think, equal to that. I don't know what that magazine would. If there is indeed a magazine, I, you know, I'll actually tell you. Here's the equivalent to the Playboy interview. It, it's it's being on the Daily Show. Oh, I would say yes, because there's so much cultural cachet attached to it, and it's irreverent, but it's kind of serious. Because the Playboy interview is no joke. I mean, that's like ten pages of hardcore questioning. Um, but I think that belongs to a different generation it, and not this one. It does. I I remember they they asked Carter something because he was he's very you know he was very religious. And I think he was like a he wasn't he wasn't a reverend, but he was you know he like he, I don't know he he was like a, a like a like a, a a lay priest almost. I think at his church he, he you know he gave sermons or whatever. But they asked him something or other, and he used this phrase that became famous. He admitted to lusting in his heart. He did, I think he said he'd always been faithful to his wife. They asked if he'd ever if he'd ever been unfaithful, and he said no, but I have lusted in my heart. And the third thing was he told the story of canoeing across a river, paddling across a river, when what he described as a really, really big, angry rabbit swam out and grabbed his oar and attacked it. 
which is sort of the thing that even before the Internet uh, got passed around immediately and everybody sort of told that story to everybody else. My dad immediately came to the conclusion that he was a sissy and couldn't, you know, couldn't be trusted running the government. Have you ever been bitten by a rabbit? I have no. No. Oh. Have you? I thought everybody had. Yeah. No, I did. It scared the crap out of me. I got um, a rabbit bit through my thumb and their teeth are the scariest things ever. Like the noise that it makes. I remember this one because they go straight through your skin. What was the noise? It was like a stapler. It was like a giant tooth, like rabbit tooth stapler. So it's a giant stapler covered in fur. Yeah, it just all of a sudden just went kicking, like like in and out of my hand. I thought rabbits were very docile. I, that happened to me when I was like in fifth grade, and I've always been afraid of rabbits. You know that the uh, that before they closed at that Scamps Pet Store at Lloyd Center, they had the big huge wash tub full oh, of I rabbits. Know, they were so cute. Yeah, but the but see now that you, I always wondered about it because the deal is they don't like to get puppies out to have them. You know, it's a big chore to get the dogs out to give them to the kid, and the kid plays with the dog for five seconds. Then the dad's like, we got to get to the Cajun grill, and then the kid has to give the, the puppy back. So to solve the problem of kids wanting to touch one of the animals and not wanting to get all the dogs out, they had this huge corrugated wash tub of rabbits that they just left there. And so it makes me feel good knowing that, like, if a, you know, if a kid got uppity with one of the rabbits, the rabbit was just going to take a chunk out of his hand oh, or yeah, something. Oh, yeah, it hurt. Interesting. All right. Let's do uh, one more here, and then we will uh, take a break. Speaking of animals, there, there were postings all around my neighborhood warning us there's a coyote hiding next to the gazebo between 5 and 6 a.m. And to be very careful. You have a gazebo? Wait a minute. We have two. It's only hiding next to the gazebo between 5 and 6 a.m.? That's what that's what the warning said. While it's waiting for it's, the it's morning train. warning, and it was posted in all the light poles. <laughs> Is this while it's waiting for the sheepdog so they can go I, I to work together? So. All right. So now everyone's suspicious of everything it moves, think it's a coyote, even if it's on the leash. Somebody's walking a coyote. Morning, Tim. Morning, coyote. <laughs> So it's out there. All right. On that note, we should. Uh, well, let's do this. Let's well, let's take do a local a, uh, story. Yeah. Well, let's do Something this. Let's, a little local let's do this. Let's take a break because we got Lisa Desjardins who's going to join us from the okay. Hill. So I want to make sure we just got uh, confirmation that she's going to uh, be with us in a moment. So we'll do that. We'll come back. Talk to Lisa Desjardins about Ted Kennedy. More from Tim Riley on the way as well. Plus from Twilight, Feeder Facinelli. Stay right there. Back after this. More of the Rick Emerson Show in mere moments. Only on Rock 101. KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show returns. I can take or leave him. It's okay. This is Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for joining us. It is 503-228-4101. Coming up at 640 this morning. We'll talk to Peter Facinelli from Twilight and the new show uh, Nurse Jackie. Starring Edie Falco on Showtime. Peter Facinelli from Twilight coming up at 6.40. 7 o'clock, Oregonian music editor Ryan White. And at uh, 8 o'clock, Pat Jankowitz, author of Just When You Thought It Was Safe to Go Back in the Water, the Jaws Companion. We're also doing continuing coverage, the passing of Senator Ted Kennedy. Let's welcome down to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hill CNN radio correspondent to the stars, Lisa Desjardins. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, guys. And uh, this was something I saw, uh, the Ted Kennedy story, I saw about 10.30 or so. Last night, our time. And as it turned out, Tim had actually gone to bed and hadn't seen the story. And I had to make this judgment call about whether to tell Tim about it, whether to call or send him a text or something. And I opted not to do it because I knew that if I did, Tim would get no sleep at all. And it's like you would have been awake still at 3 o'clock this morning, probably in front of CNN. And even more unhappy than I already am. <laughs> I mean, even, really, even more traumatized. So, what is the what is the sort of mood to whatever extent, Lisa, that you could in the sort of in the political world this morning about the Ted Kennedy uh, passing? What is the, the what's the what's the tone? Oh, 
I, I think, you know, it, it definitely feels very gray. Um, it's definitely kind of a, a everyone, it's, it's sort of one of those moments where you, you, you're in pause, you're in pause mode. People, I think, are frozen. Everyone knew this was going to happen. We had an idea it was going to happen soon because, remember, just last week, uh, Ted Kennedy and his staff released that letter asking the governor of Massachusetts to try and change the law uh, so that he could be replaced more quickly um, in case he had to step down or in case he passed away. Now, he didn't write it that way, but it was clear that that letter was an indication that that uh, perhaps he was getting worse or that they expected some, some kind of change soon. So we knew this was coming, but even so, um, it really it feels a little bit like a like a like a punch to the gut in the political world. People, you know, you're you're, you're going to hear all the cliches again and again today, but a lot of them are true, and especially that Democrats and Republicans alike respect him for what he achieved, both the legislation that he passed, all the minimum wage hikes that he did, the Civil Rights Act, all of that. But but I think he's he's respected for uh, really being. A master of politics, being able to come back from some of the most uh, really, you know, sensational personal hits that anyone could take, cases of incredibly bad judgment, to say the least, and worse if you're a critic of his, um, and and still he was able to to keep going and become really one of the most powerful people in Washington for decades. I mean, he he was really the the first politician uh, of the television age to really do bad things. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. And remember, you know, from the time he was 30 years old, he was a, an international superstar because of his big brother, John. You know, and, and so when John Kennedy died, he, you know, there were two brothers left, and, and, and both of them, you know, became even more prominent. And then when there was just one brother left, I mean, he, he was a star from the time he was just barely in his 30s. Do you think if, do you think if, if, if uh, the assassination of, of JFK hadn't happened, was, would Ted Kennedy have ended up being politics as, as you know, as a senator or, or something? I mean, is it, was, that, was that kind of the destiny of the family, do you think, anyway? Or was it largely because of what happened to his brothers? Yeah, it's one of the what-ifs. I suspect he probably would have. It's the family business, and he hadn't really shown an inclination toward any any other, uh, you know, real calling. You know, he really actually was, was a sportsman in, in college. He was really into football, that kind of stuff. You know, maybe he would have gotten into some kind of business or, or even PR career or some, something like that. But but it seems likely that um, probably late, much later than he did, he, he would have ended up in politics in, in some form or another. But, but entering right then at the age of 30 as a candidate for the U.S. Senate, um, I, I think, you know, it, that that wouldn't have happened if his brother hadn't become president. Now, the death of his brother um, happened, of course, after he was already a senator. But um, I think I think it was his, his rise it was definitely linked to his, his brother's ambition. So, so now I'm waiting to see in the next few days or so if one of the Kennedys who is not in politics you know, one of the younger generations of Kennedy comes forward and says that they want to run for this office. You know, you wonder. We we know for sure from the Kennedy family, um, from sources in Senator Kennedy's staff and family, that that if they are able to change the law, and it, and that is not clear, but if they are able to change the law so that the governor of Massachusetts can appoint a replacement, um, that Vicki Kennedy 
Senator Kennedy's widow now is not interested at all, that she does not want to be a senator. And, you know, that's what everyone's, and she's, she's young, you know, so, so people thought that she's an automatic choice. She's also considered to be very smart and very good at politics, but we're told that she is not interested. So you're right. The question is, who else? Um, you know, in his immediate family, his son, of course, has had recent problems. He's been in and out of alcohol rehab treatment. He remains a congressman from Rhode Island. Uh, so switching him into a Senate spot in Massachusetts does not feel like a natural call. All it takes is a U-Haul truck to move him back from Rhode Island to Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, really. It's a short distance. <laughs> I, I know that uh, there's a whole lot of stuff going on today, and everybody is, is incredibly busy. So uh, I obviously have more on this kind of as the week unfolds. But um, thank you for uh, spending a few minutes with Lisa. Lisa, I know there's, 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 there's just so much more to say about this, but we will undoubtedly catch up with you in the next couple of days. So um, enjoy the rest of your day. We will talk to you uh, tomorrow or Friday about this. Uh, so uh, have a yeah, uh, fantastic yeah. Wednesday. Okay, great. All right, there you go. From the Hills. CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen. All right, more to come about the passing of Senator Ted Kennedy coming up at 7 o'clock. Oregonian music editor Ryan White coming up at 6.40. Peter Facinelli from Twilight. He's staying there. Back after this is the Rick Emerson Show. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show returns. And I have magic genitals. On Rock 101 KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for joining us. It is 503-228-4101. Coming up later on the day, CNN Radio correspondent James Roop will uh, join us in Los Angeles. So I guess uh, Chris Brown, we'll find out more of the details on this. So Chris Brown got sentenced, I think it's five years probation is the actual official sentence that came out. Okay, I know I sound dumb, but what is probation? That's where if you screw up, then, they, you, then you're sent to jail. They dangle the sentence over you with the threat of like this will be imposed if you do anything else. It's a slap on the hand by a liberal judge. That's ex- <laughs> or that sure. You know whose fault this is, Tim? The Socialists. Kennedys. No, see, I was. I'm going to get on the. See, everything has been Bill Clinton's fault for a while. Mm. But if you listen, you can almost hear my in-laws typing out snarky emails about the Kennedy family. I'm going to tell. Yeah, I'm going to send my wife a text message like, you know, baby, don't even open your email for the rest of the day. And if you do, if you see anything from your mother, don't open it. Especially if there's anything that says like Kennedy in the subject line, just don't read it. Because I can already sense there's going to be a whole bunch of uh, just the nutcase things floating around the uh, the blogosphere about this, but. So I think the thing with Chris Brown is that with probation, they say, well, look, normally you would get 15 years or whatever. We're not going to give that to you. But if you so much as jaywalk or spit on the sidewalk, like the full sentence will be imposed. You know what it is? It's what happens to Lou Gossett Jr. and Jason Gedrick at the end of Iron Eagle, where they're sitting there in front of the military tribunal. And the guy said, we're not going to tell the press about any of these shenanigans, nor are we going to sentence you to 25 years in a military stockade. However, these sentences will be imposed immediately should you speak to anybody about the events that transpired. It's just like that. It's just like the end of Iron I thought Eagle. it would be just like that. <laughs> so we will talk to, uh, to Roop about that. Because I'm unclear about this statement that Chris Brown made this morning where he said that he, quote, tried to plead guilty, and the lawyer wouldn't let him. So Mark Garagos apparently had, like, the bounding gagged him and wouldn't let him uh, wouldn't let him do any speechifying about that. Pat Jankowicz, who's the author of the uh, new book, uh, Just When You Thought It Was Safe to Go in the Water, the Jaws Companion will speak with us as well, plus Oregonian music editor Ryan White. At the news desk, your personal savior, Tim Riley. 
In the News with Tim Riley. Good morning from the KUFO News Center in downtown Portland. It is 645 right now. We'll have mostly sunny skies today. Highs in the 80s back up into the 90s tomorrow. Senator Ted Kennedy has died at the age of 70. 70 passed away at the Kennedy compound in Hannesport late last night. The Reverend Patrick Durant was at Kennedy's side when he passed away. Between 9 and 10 o'clock, he took a turn, a serious turn. And that's when I was called. And, and so I was there until he died. And he died about 11.30-ish. Doctor was there all the time, of course. And all the family were there. Now, normally New Yorkers don't like people from New England, but they do feel bad today. He's fought for a lot of, uh, for the underclass. He's fought for people who don't have the means to support themselves. He's very good at uh, trying to uh, get healthcare moving along. A second New Yorker had things to say that were complimentary. He was one of a dynasty of Kennedys who did a lot of good in this country uh, for all people. So there, even New Yorkers can be kind sometimes. So it's a, it's a thing on which we can all agree today. Yeah. Meanwhile, locally, a man has been charged with DUI after falling asleep at the McDonald's drive-thru in Corvallis. He's 27 years old, charged with drunk driving after he fell asleep in his car at the drive-thru. A deputy has been called to the drive-thru and arrested Lane Miller. According to the police report, he had a blood alcohol content of 0.18%. That's twice Oregon's legal limit. It's unknown what he had ordered. A three-year-old boy has second-degree burns after playing with a lighter. Fire investigators say the boy, whose name is Kemper was playing with a lighter when he set his clothes on fire at his mother's house. Uh, his 15-year-old brother was babysitting him when the boy got hold of the lighter. I set him up with a movie, and I was cleaning my room, and I heard him scream, I'm on fire. So uh, the older brother, Zach, ripped off Kemper's shirt, which was on fire. Part of the nylon shorts he was wearing also melted, burning his upper leg. Uh, it could have been worse. So. I was going to ask if this was, you know, if they're one of those childproof lighters, but I guess it wasn't. It, that's not really the issue. What is a childproof lighter if a child can light it? Well, the childproof lighters. I think that's just a euphemism because, again, if you, I mean, if you're over the age of two, you can probably use that. I think. Oh, it's like the the metal piece over the over. Is that how they work? Because I don't smoke, so I don't know. But it's got the. Uh, it, yeah, because they're like the that little plasticky switch thing in the front. Is that what I'm thinking of? No, no, no. It's because uh... the deal is that they just don't go off in your pants, right? I mean, that's when they say it's childproof. It seems like it's not really meant to be childproof. It's to keep it from lighting inside, like, your jeans okay, or something. So it's, it's this part right here. Right. See that? And then usually there's, like, a metal, like, got a, swoopy thing a, over it, so you can't, uh, so your thumb... The metal swoopy hit. thing is gone, though, Sarah. I don't know what you're talking uh, about. Did you remove that, or did you just buy a... Or do you, find, do you have a place that sells you non-childproof lighters? I actually don't know where I acquired this one. Because that, you're right, that doesn't have the child. Is there like a, a, a non-childproof lighter kiosk at the Lord Center? Is that where you go in and you wink to the guy and you ask for a quart of cream cheese? No, 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 I'd like a uh, pack of Reds, please, and a quart of cream cheese. And then you slide the guy like the five, and then he gives you the whatever. They used to have the early childproof lighters that came out like 10, 12 years ago. They had a little metal, um, it was a little metal piece of plastic underneath and you would see people, in fact, I think this is in the movie Chasing Amy, I think that you think you see the Ben Affleck character do this. My friends would, they would buy a lighter, and the first thing they would do is they'd hold the lighter up to their mouth, and they'd go, and they'd pull out the black, and they'd spit it, because apparently it made the lighter very difficult to use. I do remember they, they sold this fantastic cigarette lighter when I was, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe 18, 19, and this is before the childproof lighter law had come into effect, so you could sell basically anything to anybody. It was a, it was a simpler time. It was this lighter that was just, I mean, it seems insane in retrospect that they even made this. And it seems almost like a joke product. It's like a lawn dart or something. They sold a cigarette lighter, and it was shaped just like the one Sarah has, just like a regular lighter that you get at the plaid pantry. 
But the deal is all you have to do is touch it. It was like a touch lamp, but it was a touch lighter. And looking back now, I can't imagine how they ever thought that was a good idea or how it is that the company wasn't sued into oblivion. How about a voice-activated lighter? That'd be handy. Light. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all you had to do. All you had to do was pick up the lighter and touch your thumb to the side of it, and a big flame shot out of the top. And I remember seeing that when I was 18 or so and thinking, simultaneously, that's fantastic, and also, that's stupid. (laughs) And and then about six months later, they were not on the market anymore, so I'm... uh, I'm imagining that uh, there were any number of uh, amusing, if unfortunate, mishaps that uh, took place with that. Hey, by the way, you're not imagining it. The Twilight guy hasn't called yet. Yeah, for uh, his rep, um, I'm sure can't get a hold of him. That's great. He's not answering his phone. I'm sure he'll call any moment now. I'm glad that I alerted everybody to that and cut maybe Lisa's Ted Kennedy ready, segment short. Maybe they're getting things ready at Jensen Beak. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a hard life being Mr. Kelly Taylor. I see how quickly we turn. All you have to do is be five minutes late calling us and you're on the enemy's list. I should also note, by the way, I'm looking at his Wikipedia page. And you made me page. Twitter about it, too. I, I did, too, and I haven't sent out a Twitter update, I think, since I got back from me New neither. York. Me neither. My last one was about uh, the Dave Chappelle thing. But I was going to be... Really? Yeah. You're one of those people. You've become one of those people who uses Twitter for 30 seconds a month or whatever that I survey know, said. I know. I use uh, Facebook quite a bit, but not Twitter as much as uh, I should. Remember that time 20 minutes ago when we were talking with... Uh, and you know what? And I queued up, like, because he was in Can't Hardly Wait, so I'm playing Blink-182, damn it. Like, into this break, because I was really excited about it. And when I told Lisa, hey, I know you're talking about the biggest political story of the year so far, but I got to go because the Twilight guy is going to be on the phone with us. All right. I should have known, but I'm looking at his Wikipedia page, and that's the... Have you seen his Wikipedia picture? Oh, boy, have I. That is... If you were to look up smirk in the dictionary, it's uh, it's right there. I'm sure he's a charming person, but Greg, is he uh, calling now? All right. So, Sarah, where are we with the, well, uh, with the it's, clock? Well, it's time here? for a break, considering you're supposed to call 11 minutes ago. Well, that's well. So, he's going to have to wait. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Today's secret phrase is, he's just going to have to wait. Coming up later on, Oregonian music uh, editor Ryan White will be with us, plus Pat Jankowitz, author of the new book, Just When You Thought It Was Safe to Go Back in the Water, the official Jaws companion. You stay there. We are live from beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. KUFO, Portland. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. It is Wednesday morning. Thank you for joining us. It's 503-228-4101. You can also text if you like at 52051 or you can email Rick at RickEmerson.com. Coming up at 7.20, we'll talk to Oregonian music editor Ryan White about uh, the latest uh, with Aerosmith. Uh, I think Steven Tyler said this is the fourth time he's fallen off a stage. But then he said something like, you know, that's four times out of 10,000 shows, which, you know, is not not a bad average to have. That's uh, actually a good point. <laughs> I, I mean, really. I mean, especially when you consider that guy. If you look at those those shows, like from the, those Texas shows they did in 78, where, as he put it, he's just gacked to the nines. You know, literally singing songs on his back on the stage. So, uh, well, all that hanging flesh off his face is enough to knock him right off the stage without moving. <laughs> we'll also uh, talk about uh, the Kiss Tour, which is coming to uh, Portland later on uh, this uh, fall. And they're going to be here uh, in November. Uh, coming up next hour, we'll talk to Pat Jankowitz, who's the author of Just When You Thought It Was Safe to Go Back in the Water, the official Jaws companion. And Tim Riley, you are working on the following stories for the good people of the Rose City. We'll have some sound from the uh, president in uh, moments, speaking on the uh, death of... Ted Kennedy, who passed away last night at the Kennedy compound at the age of 97. John McCain is getting booed by those crazy people showing up at those public meetings. And uh, Dr. Conrad Murray 
isn't the only Michael Jackson, Dr. Feelgood type, who's in hot water for drugs and whatnot. Awesome. We'll talk to uh, CNN Radio correspondent Jim Root from Los Angeles about all that as well. Uh, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we want to welcome to the uh, Rick Emerson Show. You know him from the uh, movie Twilight, its upcoming sequel, New Moon, where he plays Dr. Carlisle Cullen, the patriarch of the vampire Cullen uh, clan. He's also in the new show Nurse Jackie with Edie Falco, Mr. Uh, Peter Facinelli. And he's also in Can't Hardly Wait. And he was in Can't Hardly Wait. Peter Facinelli, good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm fantastic. I have to say that within the space of about, I don't know, um, 35 seconds yesterday, I mentioned your name, and obviously the people know uh, Twilight, and they've seen Nurse Jackie. I had two different people, both of them young ladies, who said, anyways, you can't hardly wait! And just, they immediately came out it's with that. It's one of the so greatest movies ever. How can I not mention it? Your oh, fame thanks. precedes you. I, that movie gets quoted a lot. Can't hardly wait. What is your uh, favorite line from that film to quote your own self, sir? What is, uh... Um, Mike Dexter, when he says, uh, I'll kick everyone's ass in this room. You should put that on your business card. That should just be a yeah. thing you carry around with you. Uh, you're in uh, Nurse Jackie with Edie Falco, which is on Showtime. It premiered, uh, I don't know, about... Am I inside a metal box? It sounds like there's a weird rever. Just so everybody knows, let's just address the issue right now. Yes, it sounds as though I'm talking inside a metal coffin right now, but we're going to play through that because we're professionals here. It's, it's a vampire coffin. That's, there, <laughs> there you go. go. I'm method acting, sir. Uh, so you're on Nurse Jack with Edie Falco. Were you were you kind of deliberately trying to go a different direction than when you were in uh, Twilight and and uh, Fast Lane, or is it just is it just something about the script that you really liked? Um, a little bit of both. I mean, I tend to try to do different things and. When people ask me what I want to do next, I always say whatever I haven't done before. So uh, when I got the opportunity to do Nurse Jackie, I, I read the script, and it was not only different than anything I've done, but it was, uh, you know, it had Edie Falco in it. I mean, the the title of the, the script at that point was the untitled Edie Falco show, and right. so I knew it was going to be good even before I opened it. What's it like to work with, with someone uh, of, of her stature? Because she's been around, I mean, people know her from Carmela Soprano, and... Uh, but she's done so much, and she's such a great actress. Is it inspiring, or is it is it intimidating when you're with somebody who has who has that level of of skill to them? No, I love working with great actors because it makes my job easier. Um, I've had the opportunity to work with some really fantastic actors in my career, and uh, and Edie goes along with that. I mean, she's so real and so natural. When I show up for work, it's it's just it's so easy. We're talking to uh, Peter Facinelli from uh, Twilight and the new show Nurse Jackie. Uh, we should mention he's going to be at the Jansen Beach Super Center, uh, which is this Saturday, August 29th at noon, signing autographs, taking pictures, and a portion of uh, those fees will go to the Dornbecker Children's Hospital. And you're going to be talking about uh, New Moon as well. Does your I have to ask you, does your wife get weirded out by the fact that there's so many teenage girls or just girls of whatever age that are freaks for, for the Twilight series? Has it ever, I mean, do you ever walk down the street and your wife just goes, I wish these girls would quit staring at you? <laughs> No, I mean she w- she went through it in her own right when she was uh, in the peak of nine hundred two and zero. So I think she gets it, and um, you know we have three daughters of our own, and my, my oldest daughter's twelve. So it's weird because when I'm around my my daughter's friends, they don't they don't make a fuss at all. They they kind of roll their eyes. So you and we should mention by the way, your wife is the lovely Jenny Garth uh, from Taylor. Uh, from nine hundred two and zero. Should we? Uh, so you're you're. Uh, your daughters don't, uh, they don't go, and my dad's in Twilight. Is it, is it, I mean, you're not the cool dad even having been in Twilight? How no, is that possible? I, I wish I was. I mean, I don't know how I turned into the embarrassing dad, even though I'm, I'm, I'm like Dr. Carlisle Cullen, which is the coolest dad, you know, on the planet right now. <laughs> my, my daughter still rolls her eyes at me. Do they just bombard you with questions about Robert Pattinson? 
I get that a lot. I mean, uh, the other day somebody, I ran into somebody, they were really excited, and then they, they had a letter for me to deliver to Rob Pattinson. Oh, that's so sad. That's, I'm so glad I met you. Can you give this to Kristen Stewart? Yeah, exactly. Uh, do you get the, I I've mean. become the Pony Express to Rob and Kristen. Well, let me continue that trend uh, then by asking you, uh, uh, as I just turn into a teenage girl oh, myself, God. are Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson still together? You know, I didn't know that they ever were. Oh, that's oh, a, way that's to play a, it, buddy. Okay. Uh, uh, I can tell right now that you are a man who spent long hours talking with the PR uh, person about how to answer that question. Well done, sir. Well played. Why do you think the uh, the recent surge in uh, in vampire stuff? I mean, the, 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 I mean, there's a lot of vampire projects that have kind of come out recently. Do you think it's all because of Twilight, or do you think that Twilight is part of a larger sort of trend in the culture? You know, vampire movies have always been around, and they they come in waves. And whenever something's successful, uh, you know, people tend to try to do more of it. And, uh, you know, with True Blood and with with Twilight being successful, I mean, I was at the movies the other day, and three out of five of the previews were vampire movies. And I was like, what's going on here? And the other two were, you know, zombie films. Yeah, exactly. uh, Vampires or zombies, who would win? Yeah, uh, vampires. Ah, well, okay. I guess I could have put you down. I could, have, I sort of, I probably could have filled that out the, the, myself. Uh, we're talking to Peter Facinelli. He's uh, Dr. Carla Cullen in Twilight and the upcoming sequel, uh, New Moon. You guys, with with a fan base like that that is so rabid, they they just know every word from every line from every one of those books. Do you feel you guys like you have to deviate from the books a little bit to preserve the surprise? Like you have to throw in twists that are not there to kind of keep the fan base. Uh, you know, kind of excited about what comes next? No, I, I tend to want to go back to the books. If there's a line that's similar to what the book is, I tend to want to go back to what the book is and say the exact line because, I mean, I think the excitement for the fans is they're, they're, this book is being made into a movie, so they're being able to see this book that they've lived with uh, now into a movie. If you change it too much, then I think they they get upset. So I mean I've met people with lines in the, of the book tattooed on their bodies. So you know I remember having uh, conversations with Chris White on New Moon, and there were lines that were similar to to what was in the book. And I'd say, can we just say what was in the book? Do you ever get? I mean, do you get people that have um, like your own face or something that like they, that like tattooed on them? Because people are such fanatics for these books. I've I've met a lot of people with Rob's face tattooed on their bodies, which is going to look weird when they're sixty, but. Uh, <laughs> And uh, you know, as they're handing you the letter to uh, you know to, uh, to to give to him, uh, all right. We want to mention, by the way, you are going to be at the Jansen Beach Super Center this Saturday, August 29th at 12 noon. Uh, Peter Facinelli from Twilight and the new show Nurse Jackie. You're going to be talking about New Moon, which is out in November. Signing autographs, taking pictures for about two hours, and a portion of that fee will go to Dornbecker Children's Hospital. So, uh, best of continued success in uh, life and art and all things, my friend. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Thank you, sir. All right, there you go. That is uh, Peter Facinelli. I like the addition of the Sono Box to the program. That's something to it. There is, like, it's like Peter Frampton was doing the interview in the. Okay, that was pretty rad. <laughs> no, he ended up he ended up being a pretty mellow guy. No, okay, and come on, that the answer to that uh, Kristen and Rob question. No, as I say, you can tell that genius. he's been he's been coached. I mean, to you know, and to his credit, he recited probably whatever he's been told to say about that. You know, which is just which I understand because it's not a question about him. I mean, it's a question mm-hmm. that is about because that probably wouldn't you imagine that that affects the way the audience for those films behave if they know 
Although I guess not, because I guess if they, if they, you, the, the traditional logic is that that girls especially want to think that a guy is available. Yeah, if but they a also want to movie, see the romance, like to picture to, uh, Bella and Edward together. That's true. Although, boy, God, it it's hasn't helped that. It's such a PR that... stunt. It's totally a PR stunt. So, is it, so do you think it's real or not? See, and I sound like a 12-year-old. Do you think it's real or not? <laughs> I that think that they're probably horny teenagers that have messed around a little bit, but see, I don't there think you they're go. in love. See, that's, see, that's my assumption. Yeah. If you take teenagers. They're, who... both like, they're both pretty. And they're both. Uh, and they're, know, they're long nights on the set, and then they're like being forced to make out over and over again. That's true. I Well, uh, yes. Yes. And come on. You can't. You're not really that picky. Well, no, make I, out again. No, make out again. I, I said make out one more time. <laughs> more tongue. More tongue. Awesome. That's a promo in the making. I can't top that. We'll come back with Oregonian music editor Ryan White, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Kiss and Aerosmith, who are on tour, and he'll be counting down the top five TV theme songs of all time. Also, more news about the passing of Senator Ted Kennedy. Coming up at 8 o'clock, Pat Jankowitz is the author of the new book, Just When You Thought It Was Safe to Go in the Water, The Jaws Companion. Stay there. We're live from Portland. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Putting the cult in pop culture. Greetings, Optimus Prime. I am Mega Chest. The Rick Emerson Show returns. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Believe it or not, we just spent three minutes talking about the Weather Channel during the break. So, in case you're wondering if I lead an exciting life, no. It's 503 228 4101. Except for talking to the guy from uh, Twilight, by the way. He was actually pretty great. He uh, he was cool. I retract my bitchy comments. Retract all of our hate that we uncorked. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter. It, really, you could be the high on our, our list of favorite people, but if you're more than a minute and a half late calling us, you're dead to us, and then you have to dig your way out of that hole. He ended up being good. I think we woke him up, though. I think the, the kind of thinking back on that, I, uh, I'm, guessing that's the, uh, I'm guessing that's the cause of his uh, non punctuality. Coming up later on today, we'll be talking to Pat Jankowitz, who is the author of Just When You Thought It Was Safe to Go Back in the Water, a Jaws Companion. And as a bonus, Greg Nibbler uh, spoke to Pat Jankowitz yesterday, I think, as he was booking him and said that he is, in fact, quote, crazy. Is that your assessment? Am I am I misquoting you there? That is an accurate assessment. When you say he's yeah, crazy. Crazy how? Please to please to explain. OK, well, when I when I actually talk to him. See, my coming through. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when I talked to him, he like couldn't keep track of one thing. I just called to confirm that, you know, we can do the interview today at 8 a.m. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, great. That's that, that. Yeah, that sounds really good. I'm just really excited to be talking to you there in Portland. Oh, by the way, Portland, that's where they, they got rid of my favorite brewery. You know, I was like, driving up to Seattle the other day. And, and meanwhile, you were just calling proceeded to, like that. to yeah. make sure he had the phone number. Yeah, or and I was just like, hey, great. Uh, you know, we'll call you tomorrow at 8 a.m. Oh, man, you know, they got rid of the yard up in Seattle. I'm like, <laughs> okay. I never right. talked to anybody. I live in my basement all the time. Yeah, I don't actually have any human contact. Damn, that sucks because it sounds like good mystery guest potential. Yeah, it would have been a great mystery guest. See, actually, but I'm, in hindsight, I'm glad. But I'm glad we didn't do that though because I'm a big Jaws fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to go into this because the thing is, I mean, you can tell he must be a little OCD to have written the book about not just like it's one thing to write a book about Jaws. Like I think the reason the book is coming out now is they have this documentary coming out called "The Shark Is Still Working," which is supposedly the definitive documentary about the making of, of the original Jaws, which is a very troubled production. Uh, and the movie almost didn't happen for any number of reasons, but then it turned out to be the first blockbuster's first movie to make over $100 million, and blah, blah, blah. But this book isn't just about the first Jaws. It is improbably enough about all four Jaws films, including Jaws the Revenge, starring uh, Lorraine Gary, which is just... Uh, I mean, if you, have you ever seen Jaws the Revenge? No. Oh, it's awesome. It's You have to see it. It's fantastic. It I don't ends, want to disappoint you. No, you've never seen Jaws? Come on! 
on. Who are you? Now what's happening in here? Now I sound like Pat Jankowitz. I can't believe you've never seen Jaws. It's a modern classic. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right. Well, in any event. And I'm not alone with the, uh, Star, the Star Wars thing anyway. A lot of people wrote me yesterday and said they've never seen Star Wars. You know, but you've never seen any of the Star Wars films. I know, like, but not, I am Not any s- of the six. No. I'm just saying it's okay. odd. Okay. Anyway, my point, though, real quickly, is that Jaws the Revenge is one of the worst movies. I mean, it's mind-bogglingly bad. I mean, leave aside the fact that, as I've previously noted, there's several sequences where Michael Caine literally falls off the boat into the water, and then they cut back to him, and he is completely dry, which is not unlike how in Waterworld, Dennis Hopper has an endless supply of dry cigarettes and matches, even though he spends all of his time submerged. There's also a sequence at the end. Look, spoilers, lol. I'm going to ruin Jaws for, uh, for you here. Lorraine Gary, who is the who is Roy Scheider's wife from the first Jaws movie, and who, by the way, and I'm sure it's a coincidence, is married to the head of the studio that made Jaws the Revenge. At the end, she rams the shark with the tip of her boat. Like the shark is leaping out of the water to attack her. And she charges it with the boat and hits it, and the shark explodes in this huge, like, gas and oil fire with black, acrid clouds coming out of it. Here's a little FYI. Sharks aren't filled with dynamite or gasoline. There's no reason the shark... And then the shark screams. The shark actually says, like, Rrr! And the sharks have no vocal cords. Doesn't stop the shark from screaming and underwater to boot. So you got to ask yourself, why would a guy write a book about all of these films? The answer, apparently, he's crazy. Uh, in just a, a few moments, we'll be joined by Ryan White from the Oregonian. We'll talk about the Aerosmith Tour, the Kiss Tour. He'll count down his top five uh, TV theme songs of all time. At the news desk, this is your personal savior, Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. Good morning, everyone, from the KUFO News Center in downtown Portland. It is now 726. It's going to be mostly sunny today, highs of the 80s. Back up into the 90s tomorrow. He never lost an election in his life. And he was a legislator for more than 50 years. Well, almost that. Ted Kennedy passed away at the Kennedy compound late last night at the age of 97. Just moments ago, President Obama, who's also in New England, he's on uh, Martha's Vineyard on uh, vacation. He stepped before the microphone and uh, made a few comments. Over the past several years, I've had the honor to call Teddy a colleague, a counselor, and a friend. And even though we have known this day was coming for some time now, we awaited it with no small amount of dread. So he, there was no mention made that he visited the senator. Perhaps that was on the agenda, and maybe he was told that that wasn't possible. I hadn't really put end. that together, that he he's was close in by as a Martha's, Martha's Vineyard. Vineyard. So, yeah. I mean, you know, you got to figure if you're the president, you get access to all you know information that other people don't have. So he might have known that... You know, the end was, and was since, sort of you know, he, he didn't uh, go to Eunice's funeral last week. Right. Then that was significant. Actually, in retrospect, I, we should have read more into that. The fact that Ted Kennedy wasn't at the funeral for Eunice uh, mm-hmm. Shriver. Yeah. Former Irish politician and 1998 Nobel Peace winner John Hume uh, says Kennedy was uh, well respected. His legacy in Ireland will always be remembered as Senator Kennedy, an Irish, a leading Irish American and the, the, the status of the Kennedy family, and in particular the deep, deep gratitude for the priority that he gave to his support for peace and justice in Northern Ireland. And then the Irish here, including former Boston Mayor Ray Flynn, said he got to know the senator when JFK was campaigning for the Senate. We got to know know them very well. They came into the House, they sat down, and they broke bread with all the mostly Irish immigrants at the time, and they, they would tell stories. And, of course, it'd be hard to find someone in New England who hasn't met the Kennedys or spoken to them at least once. Is that the thing? Does everybody have sort of a Kennedy story in New England? Yeah. Um, Because they're always on the campaign trail. And if you grew up in New Hampshire like like I did, 
and sent out a couple of politicians as a kid, you always interviewed the Kennedys because they were always around. See, and I, you know, and we kind of, you know, we poke fun at the Kennedys sometimes, but I and I do that. I mean, if, if there's a lot of reasons because they're so deeply ingrained in the culture. But I do that, and I'm not even from New England. I can't even imagine. I mean, is it just? I, I mean, is it just going to be sackcloth and ashes in that place? Is everybody just going to be uh, sitting around staring blankly into the middle distance all day? Well, yes, because I mean, you have six states where everybody, practically everyone, is Catholic, and there's a large percentage of those who are Irish also. And then there's this whole little, you know, democratic Irish culture that goes back like 50 years, which is still intact, right. more so than any, you know, they are blue states. Lots of guys named you know, Mooney sort right. of uh, going and hoisting one down at Kelsey's bar. Exactly. What is the funeral going to be like? I mean, it's got to be nobody knows probably going to shut, the, shut the, whole, knows the whole the East Coast down. I mean, probably nobody even go to work. So or it'll be interesting to see who's in charge of that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's really something. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. This is so Greg is telling us that. So who is this on hold? This is. This is a, Greg is typing on the screen now, on hold we have, quote, buddy of Pat Jankowitz. He was a student of Pat's when he was a substitute teacher. Really? So yes. Please to explain. Okay, so yes, I guess uh, Pat used to be a sub-teacher, substitute teacher. This, this is Pat, the author of the Jaws book. Pat, the author of the Jaws book, and this guy was one of his students. Oh, okay. All right, hold on a second. Let's, uh, hello, sir, madam, as the case may be. How can I help you today? How's it going? What's up? I just called to, uh, to, to, um tell you that Pat Jankowitz is, a, is an amazing guy, while at the same time, yes, he is he is a little crazy. On a scale of uh, <laughs> one to seven, zero being not crazy at all, seven being unbelievably nuts, uh, where would you put him? I'd put him at about a lovable five. Excellent. All right. But you'd say, but it's in a sort of charismatic, ingratiating kind of way. Oh, definitely. He's, he used to do a lot of extra work, so every time he'd come in to, to, to sub for a class, you'd be like, well, what did you do now? And, you know, he'd be like, oh, I was in, I was in the Tupac video for California Love. And you're like, what? You know, he just have all these great stories to tell you. Awesome. Excellent. And where was this at? Up, Upland High School in, in Southern California. All right. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right. There you go. There's, uh, that guy. All right here's uh, Tim Riley. So the speculation in New England is who is going to lead the Kennedys now. They're talking about, uh, let's see, former U.S. Representative Joseph E. Kennedy II or his widow, Victoria, uh, who would run for his seat. But some observers uh, predict a quiet transformation in the family's identity now that the charismatic figure is gone. So uh, we'll see what, which Kennedy steps forward in the next few days. But, I mean, they're just not going to sit around quietly. And by the way, and tying this into the fact that Sarah admitted the other day she'd never seen Star Wars, I'm calling on uh, uh, on somebody now to create this just because it seems inevitable. So I want to get it made and done so we can begin selling them and, uh, you know, and profit. Somebody needs to create some sort of a, like a Photoshopped picture, but it'd be like the end of Jedi where there's uh, Yoda and Anakin and Obi-Wan, and they're all together in the blue light by the fire, and they're watching the Ewoks do the Jub-Jub uh, song, and they're kind of looking and smiling. No, it's not at the end of Jedi. It's at the end of, um... It's at the end of Jedi, right? Jedi. Is it? If they're Jub-Jub, celebrate the love, jump whatever that stupid Ewok song is. <laughs> I didn't just do that. Uh, but and you were kind of dancing in your chair, too. But yes. There's the three generations of Jedi. I was doing a little uh, a, a little side-to-side sachet. There's the three generations of Jedi, and they're bathed in the golden blue light of, I guess stuff and the force somebody needs to do that where it's like rfk jfk and teddy kennedy and then there's you know by and then they're watching obama because uh, obama then would be luke and so they all have the blue glow i don't know who the ewoks are the ewoks would be like uh i have no idea who the ewoks would be in this scenario 
I got to figure out the rest of this. The point is, that's a thing that would. I'm telling you right now, you do that, there's going to be. You put that on Amazon. That's an instant bestseller. You, you know mark it's okay my words. To think about things before you say them. No, I'm just you know. Sometimes you have to have these ideas as sort of uh, you know as, as sort naturally of naturally evolve. It's a journey, Sarah. It's not a destination. It's all about the. Uh, it's all about the maturation process of the notion. Then we should stay on at least till 10 o'clock some mornings. Ah, yes. I don't know that anybody else in the Western Hemisphere shares that assessment. (laughs) Straight ahead, we will talk to Oregonian music editor Ryan White. He will attempt to pull the sword from the musical stone by counting down the top five TV theme songs of all time. By the way, it should be noted that Greg Nibbler already violently disagrees with the content of this list. So you have that to look forward to. Plus, at 8 o'clock, Pat Jankowitz, he's written the Jaws companion uh, book. He's also apparently crazy. So you'll be listening for that. The Rick Emerson Show is live from Portland. Don't go anywhere. This is The Rick Emerson Show. On Rock 101 KUFO. Putting the cult in pop culture. Freedom's Optimus Prime. <laughs> I am Mega Chest. The Rick Emerson Show returns. Sam Jackson. On Solo. Hugh Jass. Navin Johnson. Samuel L. Johnson. Rodicus B. Spitz. Joseph Scruzz. I'm sorry. That's not even my joke. It's Ryan White from the Oregonian had that idea. Joseph Scrooge. Sarah Dillon. Tim Riley. Rick Emerson. <laughs> Jesus. It is the Rick Emerson radio program. That's cum decor is what that is Rick, right there. Stop it. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I'm a team player. It's uh, Rock 101 and KUFO. It's 503. In fact, I'm going to deliver the rest of the show that way. And I'm going to make sure there's no music behind it at all. I'm going to make it utterly non-compelling in every way I possibly can. And I'm going to do it in one monotone delivery that just goes on endlessly for no readily apparent reason. Wait, hold on. Let's give it. A, let's have a little sample here. Can you just? Uh... All right. Thank you for joining us. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUSO. Yes. KUFO. KUFO. See, now I can't even say yeah. the callers correctly. This is the. All right. Uh, coming up at the top of the hour, we'll talk to Pat Jankowitz, who's the author of uh, Just When He Thought It Was Safe to Go Back in the Water, a Jaws companion. Also, uh, Jim Roop from C- now doing it without even trying. Jim Roop from CNN Radio Los Angeles will be here to talk about the, the Michael Jackson and Chris Brown, who I guess has now claimed that he wanted to plead guilty, but that Mark Garagos, the man, wouldn't let him plead guilty. He tried to cop out to the whole thing, uh, but I guess he was denied that opportunity. So uh, now he'll be denied jail, unfortunately. So welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, Oregonian music editor and man about town, Ryan White. Hello, sir. Good morning. By the way, thank you for the joke about Sam Adams. Yeah, I, I think maybe in that list you found your uh, cast of Ewoks for uh, your analogy. I should say, by the way, uh, that when I said Joseph Scruz, Joseph Scruz is you one of our... You can't say it like that, Rick. You know I have to say Joey it. Scruz is one of our favorite names because that is one of the names that Michael Jackson was using as an alias when he was getting himself drugs. He had about 25 different pseudonyms, and one of them was Joseph Scruz. And we've decided that it has to be said with that accent. Joseph Scruz, in case you're ever uh, like trying to track me down someday when I'm uh, you know, on tour with my, uh, with my progressive Zydeco band, I will be staying uh, in hotels under the name of Joey Scruz. Don't you imagine that because it was Michael Jackson, he probably hired you know, a, a, just a, a, an army of lawyers at ridiculous fees to come up with those lists totally. of aliases? Exactly. Like the same guys who came up with the word Pentium. You know? Some, somebody made millions of dollars for coming up with that name for him. God almighty. Uh, before we get to the top five, which is, I should say right now, that we have tried many, many, many times, and we have never actually pulled this off, the top five TV theme songs of all time. 
I actually gave up at one point because I couldn't do it, and so I started I I started slicing that musical pie into smaller and smaller slices. Like I did the top five cartoon themes, top five sitcom themes, and even that I think was it proved really difficult. The top five TV theme songs of all time is. Um, did you? How long did it take you to do it to, to get a list you felt comfortable with? I've actually it, I started thinking about this completely randomly last week, actually about a week and a half ago. The Blazers have been had been auditioning local bands to play their fanfare. Uh, and they were looking for four of them to uh, to play the fanfare that would that begins their TV broadcast and radio broadcast, and they'd use some of it in in arena this year. And so they had auditions at Lola's room about a week and a half ago, and I was up there watching bands play through it. And I was talking to one of the guys in one of the bands afterwards. He said, "Well, the difficult thing or the fun thing about it is that it has this real '70s TV show theme." vibe and then one of the next bands that came up played a version that could have just been dropped in at the beginning of starsky and hutch and and not touched at all can you um, sing the heart of the starsky and hutch theme for me now no i listen i listen to like no i listen i listen to a hundred yeah, refusing to do so don't wish to there's do no so. no in radio I'm, Ryan. Un, I'm unclear about whether you can't or whether you you're just saying you shan't be doing that i listened to about a hundred tv theme shows last night uh, as i was working my way through this thing listen um, to the pure contempt that comes from tim riley though at the idea that you will not sing the starsky and hutch theme song on command. I, I, I assume there's probably a little bit of a wanting I don't really remember. Uh, there's got to be no, there's, there's got to be a wah wah pedal in it. Maybe um. I all I remember is that thing of him like reaching out and putting the light on the top of the car. That's it. That's all I've got. All right. Uh, well, before we get to the TV theme song list, we should talk a little bit about uh, you and I were discussing this Aerosmith thing yesterday. So Aerosmith is on tour. Kiss is on tour. I think they toured together actually a year and a half ago. But Ted, I was I was about to say Ted Kennedy fell off a stage. That hasn't. Uh, that hasn't that hasn't happened uh, today. That's uh, that's uh, I'm conflating two stories there, but um, but Steven Tyler I think fell off a stage last week somewhere. I don't even know where they were playing. One of the uh, one of the northern rectangular states, one of the Dakotas, and he got too 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 close. And he, you know, tipped off right into the audience, and which does make you sort of. I mean, that's one of those things where you realize the the aging that your rock idols are going through because then you start to think about hip replacement. And I remember reading that Paul Stanley from Kiss had actually had both hips replaced. And you got to wonder exactly what kind of toll it takes because they talk a lot about athletes and you were a sports writer for a long time about athletes having that physical toll, uh, you know, and how you age basically, you know, exponentially if you're playing the NFL or something. But I mean, if you're if you're some guy in a rock band, it's got to be the same thing. You got to think that David Lee Roth is half cyborg at this point, you know? Oh, he, I mean, he's got those, you know. And I and I missed them around, you know, when they came through with Van Halen. But from everything that I read, was you know, every everybody who went out and reviewed a show had to note that the leg kicks weren't quite as high as they used to be in 1984, uh, which which makes sense. It, it, it's interesting though. I mean, the hip replacement seems to be something that is is pretty easily overcome, and and you get mobile pretty fast. I was watching some video. Niels, Lof, Niels Lofgren, uh, Springsteen's guitar player, had, I think, possibly both hips replaced before this tour, and I was watching some video from a show the other night, and he was bouncing around. What is it with old people and hips, though? There's something about, like, when you're an old person, it's like tornadoes and Alabama, where they just, there's some sort of vengeance that God has against your hips when you pass the age of 60. You're just, like, buttering toast the wrong way, and you know, suddenly your pelvis is on the floor. I don't know what it is, but I'm a little bit of a hypochondriac, so when I start reading about musicians getting hips replaced, suddenly my hips hurt, and I'm pretty convinced <laughs> that at 35, I need mine done. Give so, a which pelvis pain. Uh, speaking of KISS, actually, so KISS is going to be coming uh, to the Rose Garden this November. I think it's November 17th. They're going to be in Seattle 15th, November 17th. So we'll be listening for details on that. 
You and I have had this discussion about you saw Motley Crue. Did you see Kiss? Have you? You know, I've guys? never seen Kiss, and I come back from vacation the day of that show, and I got to check my flights. I think I get in at about six thirty, so theoretically, I can give all of my bags to my wife and say I'm going to the Rose Garden. <laughs> Straight to take these home. <laughs> I am on my way to see the Star Child. So you got to go, if only because it is an inevitability that they will uh, retire. You know, the Gene and Paul will uh, will sack out at some point. Gene will never retire. No, but the thing is, no, Gene but will. We get, won't uh, know. Actually, no. I, I know what you're going to say. I mean. He'll retire from from being on stage. He won't retire from being in the band. Mm. I mean, he will just be a guy who just sits at home and just has the uh, you know has the royalty checks uh, to come in. So uh, Do you think he w- gets checks or bags of money shipped I, he's, with he's, the dollar he's, like, signs on them, do- <laughs> like, with the huge cartoon thing on the side. It is like in a wheelbarrow. Uh, straight ahead, we will count down the top five TV theme songs of all time. Oregonian music editor Ryan White is uh, with us. We'll do that. We'll also talk to uh, uh, Pat Jankowitz. He's the author of Just When He Thought It Was Safe to Go Back in the Water, a Jaws Companion, plus Jim Roop from CNN Radio Los Angeles. Stay there. We're back after this. The Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101. KUFO. KUFO Portland. And so forth. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO, as Eddie Izzard would say. And this is all true. It's 503-228-4101. Thank you for joining us. 503-228-4101. We are moments away from uh, the top five with Oregonian music editor Ryan White. We're going to count on the top five TV theme songs of all time. Uh, so we should say, that Tim's computer over there? I thought that perhaps there was like some freestyle uh, rap happening in the background. Are you going to talk about bed. our guest for tomorrow? Well, uh, first and foremost, let's just uh, let's just get a handle on where things are. So, uh, Pat Jankowitz, author of uh, Just When You Thought It Was Safe to Go Back in the Water, Jaws Companion. So, there's a schedule conflict, I guess, so we're going to be speaking with him uh, tomorrow. So, that's going to be tomorrow at 640. So, be watching the website for details uh, on that. But that's going to be tomorrow at 640, uh, Pat Jankowitz. So, he's, uh, uh, so he's going to be with us tomorrow. Also tomorrow, Kelly Clark from Willamette Week with another installment of Food Porn. And tomorrow at 8 a.m., Sarah, would you like to uh, let everybody know who we'll be we speaking with? We are going to be talking to the one and only Tommy Wiseau, the director, writer, producer, the creator, financer, and actor from The Room. The mastermind, the maven, the brain trust, the overlord of the, of the room. And if you don't know what The Room is, we'll put up a link to it at uh, rickemerson.com. Yeah, just go to theroommovie.com and it'll take you to the trailer as it well. Is, uh, it's a movie that we talked a lot about a few months back, and you're going to be, I will I'll guarantee you this, you're going to be reading and hearing a lot more about it because it's going to become this, the cult classic. It is a staggeringly bad film. There's just no way to get around it. It is it, amazing. Someone, uh, I can't remember, some reviewer called it... Uh, the Citizen Kane of bad movies. It's, I mean, it's, it really is jaw-droppingly uh, But terrible. it's so amazing. I've seen it about, like, 50 times. And it's coming to Cinema 21. Uh, the guys at Arrested Development are huge fans of it. I know David Cross was one of the first people That's to really the, champion that. The Chicken that, Dance. The Chicken Dance from Arrested mm-hmm. Development, which I guess is an in-joke to the room. Anyway, so it, you're going to be uh, seeing uh, more about it. There'll be uh, undoubtedly some articles coming out about it. It's going to be at Cinema 21, but we're going to be talking to Tommy Wiseau, who's the sort of... Tommy Wiseau is the room, so we'll be speaking with him uh, And a mystery tomorrow. guest tomorrow as well. And mystery guest. This week exhausts me, and it's not even done. Tim Riley, what headlines are we following for the people of Portland? The president moments ago spoke about Senator Edward Kennedy, who died at his home last night in Hyannisport. He was 97 years old. And we have all kinds of things to talk about. Michael Jackson's doctors, they all seem to be in trouble for one thing or another. Either they're giving Michael Jackson drugs or taking them for themselves. Was it greed 
or was there more to this than meets the eye? So CNN Radio correspondent Jim Rupel uh, join us uh, at 820 to talk about that. And I did. do you have that list I printed out of, of exactly what drugs they gave him and when? Let's see. I do have it somewhere. And you noted out, it really It really is, uh, if you look at the way it's listed out there, you noted that it's like 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. I mean, every like the top of the hour, there was some guy that would just appear with a huge Dr. Giggles-sized syringe. They brought a bunch of them on Larry King last night. Really? Yeah, giving Larry a demonstration. Would this kill me? What? Yes, Larry. Larry, a strong breeze would kill you at this point. I know, that's true. What would this do if I were to take it right now? I'd watch that if they gave Larry King, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like propofol or something. I should totally do that. That should be the next big ratings thing we do is I should take uh, yes, propofol yes. on the Review air. everyone everywhere. I can tell you don't think it's a good idea. Here's your top five. five. Oh, I'm just trying to think three, outside the box, you two, bastards. Yeah. One, fire. You know, like under laboratory conditions. And if you like how they used to do that thing in radio where they would have you get drunk on the air to test your reflexes. You just want to get sleep. Yes, I just want to have the warm embrace of darkness come and take me. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. I love to count. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today's top five Oregonian music editor Ryan White counting down these, the top five television theme songs of all time. Before we uh, actually get to this, did you have any rules you gave yourself about what qualified, what was excluded? I tried really hard to not pull, you know, random pop song that was then later applied to television show. All right, fair enough. Things uh, that were My that, Life by Billy Joel. Yeah. All right. Tim Who My Life by Billy Joel. Bosom, that's the Bosom Buddies theme song. Oh, I didn't remember that. Show. You know the whole thing with Peter Scolari? They're jogging. They're running through a sprinkler. I don't think I ever watched it. No, it's a fine program. You're really missing out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here is your top five. Honorable mention going to the Gary Shandling Show. Well done. Just this fun. The theme to Gary show. The theme to Gary show. Gary called me up and asked if I would write This is kind of the opposite. I was listening to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air song last night where you never you never needed to watch the show after hearing the song because right. every episode was just that song. This just tells you what's hap- what's about to happen. This is the music that you hear as you watch the credits. I hadn't thought about this for the longest time until I saw this on your list. I don't think I've seen this, you know, I was a big Larry Sanders fan, but the actual The Gary Shanley Show, I haven't seen for probably 15 years. No, I haven't either, but this this song has always just kind of sat there in my brain. Well done. Especially the part where he's about to whistle. Oh, yeah. I'm just, which uh, he just did. Now, see, now, I feel completely owned by my failure to So isn't to Gary Shanley the the person that uh, Adam Sandler was playing in that last movie that everyone's forgotten about already? That was out like two I weeks never ago. heard that, really? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, nah, he's, I have to go back be, and, uh, he's supposed to be playing Gary Shanley. These are the uh, top five TV theme songs of all time in the opinion of Oregonian music editor Ryan White. Number five. Barney Miller. Well done. Again. Oh, yeah. yeah. New York City detectives. Now it's I'm just fun to say. I'm picturing that sequence where like uh, that. Ron Glass is just feeding his uh, the paper into the typewriter and he's because uh, he was the cop who was the aspiring novelist. And then out of nowhere, Abe Vigoda still looking 90, or Seriously. then looking 90. I, you but, know, we've asked before for somebody to find us a photograph of Abe Vigoda when he was young, and nobody's ever been able to produce one. So I think he's a specter of some kind, that he's always just sort of, or a tortoise or maybe something. Maybe he just he's wears an old. Abe Vigoda mask. <laughs> maybe it's a series, there is no Abe Vigoda, it's a series of actors. It's like the Phantom, one generation hands the mask to another. Well, he does look a little like, like half the villains in Scooby-Doo. He I mean, really if, you, if you took that mask off... What was uh, what was Abe Vigoda's character's wife's name in Barney Miller? I do not remember. Bernice! Yeah. There you go. Uh, later, of course, he found fame in his own uh, spinoff of the sitcom Fish, Fish, which ran for two seasons, I believe. 
This is a great theme song. Reminds me a little bit of the uh, the Night Court theme, which is also really good. Mm-hmm. These are uh, Oregonian music editor Ryan White's top five TV theme songs. Tim Riley. Number four, Good Old Boys from the Dukes of Hazard. When Waylon Jennings writes you a song for your show and then narrates it, that's a good thing. Okay, what does it mean in the song when he says... Someday the mountain might have get him, but the law never will. What is the mount? What what mountain is getting the Duke boys? Was that Mount Hazard? Clearly, you don't understand the Hazard County culture and folklore. Country folk. That mountain got a lot of people, Rick. I mean, is there? Did they did they live next to a volcano? Was there was there was Vesuvius in the middle of Hazard? That the one active volcano in uh, in Georgia It's like I mean, Waylon Jennings is a very accomplished songwriter. It just. It just seems like maybe he had to punt there, like he had to fill out the meter, as my friend Todd used to say. Possibly. What, what amazed me about this when I when I first time I heard this on CD was that there was a second verse to the song. Yes, yes. There's. A, it's not unlike the WKRP in Cincinnati theme. I have that on 45, and side A is just the regular TV version. You flip it over, and there's like a four and a half minute version with like all like a like a bridge and like this whole like breakdown and like extra stanzas and the extended dance mix, the house mix. The 12 inch. And now he's back to the chorus. He's really into it. He's feeling it. No, no, no. He's. You can tell that this is uh, this is the keeper take. And we skipped ahead. I think the Jim Bean was singing. <laughs> These are the uh, top five TV theme songs of all time, in the opinion of Oregonian music editor uh, Ryan White. Uh, number three, Tim Riley. Magnum P.I. Well done again. This is a fantastic song. Yes. This starts out with that, it was a TC's helicopter that's mm-hmm. zooming into the shot, that orange helicopter or whatever the, because uh, I guess he lived on the big island of Hawaii. I think they lived on the same island, but he just ran his chopper tours off of there. I was remembering last night, like, my brother had Matchbox cars. I had a Matchbox TC's helicopter. Really? Yes. Now, was it like a mock-up or was it the actual thing? It was the actual, it was like from the Matchbox or Hot Wheels Magnum P.I. collection. Excellent. I'm sure I had the Ferrari, too, but it was the helicopter that, uh... This is, of course, one of the great TV theme songs composed by Mike Post. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you can tell because it's got the hallmark of a Mike Post song is it's got about five different genres all crammed into about 70 seconds. Because there's that right here, the little guitar, disco, rock breakdown. And then it's got these sort of orchestral hits to it as well. All right. These are the top five TV theme songs of all time in the opinion of Oregonian music editor Ryan White. Number two, Miami Vice. This is the last instrumental to ever go to number one on the Billboard Top 200. I did not know that. It was uh, by Jan Hammer. I think the I think before this there was I don't know. There's there's like theme from a summer place and all the stuff that the 70s and Green Onions and you know especially in the 60s. This though was the last instrumental song that was ever a number one uh, single in America. Did you ever see that video of of Jan Hammer playing live on YouTube where Eddie Van Halen joins him? No. And starts soloing over kind of a keyboard riff like this. I think Jan Hammer's playing like the guitar or something, and Eddie comes out and the guitar. This is another theme song that's indistinguishable from the and uh, inseparable from the uh, the images in my head because now I'm just seeing like that that sequence where the chicks walk by yes. the camera and their yes. hands are shaking. Well, you know, I'm just saying. I'm trying to be honest, Sarah. Every male who ever saw that show knows that scene in that exact moment. Don't get in the way of me bonding the with the are... 18 to 49 demographic. <laughs> the phrase "shaking cans" just sounds kind of gross. I wish I had a jiggling. Tell me, I can't pander to a target audience in her coconut bra. That's what I'm talking about right there. 
These are the top five TV theme songs of all time in the opinion of Oregonian music editor Ryan White. Number one. Sanford and Son. I can't disagree. Quincy Jones. I didn't know that, really. Yes. Quincy Jones. Explains why it's awesome. (laughs) The great thing about this is, of course, the Sanfords, they ran a junk shop. And this sounds kind of like, it kind of has that junkyard feel to it. Like there's a washboard or something at one point. Various horn instruments that are possibly not... You know, just made out of pipes and stuff. By the way, can I tell you that we were offered Damon Wilson, who played Lamont, Ooh. on Sanford and Son a couple weeks ago. And we, we ended up booking him. And then somebody uh, somebody emailed us that they heard him on another show, I don't know, a few months ago. And then he was like the biggest a-hole on earth. That he was just a complete and utter jackass and then came on and refused to talk about Sanford and Son. Well, that wouldn't make any sense at all if you were him. No, that leaves you with an absolute vacuum. What's coming up in the Oregonian, sir? Um, we've got a bunch of stuff coming next week. This week, just check the blog, OregonianMusic dot or OregonLive dot com backslash music. Excellent, Ryan White, music editor from the Oregonian. Coming up next, CNN radio correspondent James Roop joins us from Los Angeles, and more from Tim Riley about the passing of Ted Kennedy and other news that affects your world today. The Rick Emerson Show continues straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Share your thoughts with Billy. Hey, could you ruin my life, too? Maybe just destroy my livelihood or something? How about give me cancer? Maybe steal my wife? You know, whatever. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Don't miss a minute of the Rick Emerson Show, or you'll be filled with desperate, miserable shame. Once I got a taste of killing people's hopes and desires, I couldn't stop. Listen online, live, or via podcast at KUFO.com. Not that I'm advocating the abuse of your body, but really, days like today, I feel like I got to develop some sort of an ailment so I can get me some of that medical marijuana. Just telling you that right now, just because we don't, no secrets kept here. I thought I'd let you know. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Los Angeles, the home of medical marijuana, CNN radio correspondent to the stars. And yet I still hit the post. Listen to that. Uh, Jim Roop, hello, sir. Good morning. Uh, how's your day going? So far, so good. Well, that puts you, uh, I'd say, several steps ahead of myself. Let's talk about our good friend Chris Brown. So he was bumping his gums today about how he was—he wanted to plead guilty, but I guess the man wouldn't let him do it. Mark Garagos or somebody wouldn't wouldn't let him plead guilty. Um, so now he's he's on probation. Well, he didn't plead guilty to all charges. He did plead guilty to assault, uh, but not uh, in the uh, making terrorist threats or I don't know whatever the exact verbiage is. Uh, that was dismissed. And in exchange for that, he was given a five-year probation, that one-year domestic violence counseling, and then community labor for uh, six months. So, I mean, he this is not an easy sentence to, to fulfill. I mean, this is not going to be easy for him at all. He's, he has 40 hours a week picking up trash with a stick with a nail at the end of it or cleaning graffiti or repairing guardrails, something like that. So that's a lot of that's a lot of work he has to do. And then Sarah asked earlier what probation, you know, what that actually meant legally. And that's just, that's like if he if he does anything, you know, if he, if he jaywalks on the wrong day, like they, they could impose the whole sentence on him. Oh, right? and he's in front of the wrong judge if he's thinking about even um, violating anything just a little bit, missing a day of, of labor or uh, getting more than 100 yards, uh, you know, driving past Rihanna's house, something like that. You know, I mean, she even said yesterday, look, your lawyer's been in front of me before, and he knows I take this stuff very seriously. You are not in jail, but this is still a felony. Right. 
and any violation of any part of this, from the probation to the labor to the counseling to the protective order, any hint of a violation, he will go straight to jail. Well, you know, so uh, who knows? I mean, that, that I, it might actually turn out that, you know, this is one of those cases where uh, getting what some people would view as, as uh, a slap on the wrist, I guess, it might scare him enough to, you know, to get him to not be such a jackass. Because in the in the all-important charge of being a jerk, uh, he seems to have been found guilty, on, you know, like by everybody in the country. We're all sort of on the... Uh, on the same page with that guy, so yeah. Although I don't think this has affected his career at all, um, at least not on the broader scale of things. And if he if he sticks to this and everything he has said in his apologies um, sticks, also, uh, yeah, you know, in in five years he'll be fine. He's only twenty twenty two years old. Hey, speaking about uh, the guys who are sort of on the wrong side of the law at the moment, is there any movement on our friend uh, Dr. Conrad Murray? Nah, not yet. Not yet. I'm I'm thinking there's going to be a lot of people charged here. It's going to be tough, I think, because Conrad Murray is sort of new on the scene to all of this. I mean, he was just recently involved in Jackson's life, and Jackson had been had, had this history of these very powerful sedatives and drugs for a long, long time. And he even told detectives, according to this thing we saw Monday, that he was trying to wean Jackson off of this stuff. So this is not a new revelation either. This is early on in the in his statements to the detectives that that's why you got that timeline of okay, I'll give him 50 milligrams of propofol, but then he went with the Valium and the and the Anavat or the um, Ativan, Ativan, the Versed, more Ativan. Uh, then finally, after pleading, uh, and it seemed as though that night Jackson just couldn't get to sleep with all that crap in his body. So uh, even if charges are brought, unless they spread these charges out to other doctors, like those who mm-hmm. were also prescribing it and so on and so forth, they're gonna, it's going to be hard to make it stick just to Murray. I, I can't see a jury saying, yeah, he's solely responsible for this just because he's the guy who gave him the injection last and because he went to the bathroom and made phone calls or whatever it was doesn't mean he's going to be responsible for the entire death or for the death in its entirety simply because there's so many people involved in this in this timeline of of drug abuse. Well, it is it is almost uh, I keep using the kind of the hot potato or the you know the uh, the musical chair analogy where you you know the whole line of succession of people that seem to be complicit in this on some degree and then you know when Jackson dies, it's like he's the last one. Like who was the last one to touch it? You know, it's like when you it's like when you can't find your car keys or something, and your dad goes, "Well, who had them last?" Yeah, exactly. You know, it's the guy who was like there holding the syringe when the bell rings. No, uh, no, uh, seriously, there, there are I'm sure doctors that Jackson ha- has gone through, and they said, "No way, I'm not. No way, that's that's some bad stuff. I'm not doing it." But th- so there is some obvious guilt with Murray and the other guys because they wanted to be in Jackson's inner circle. Right. 150 grand a month. That's a pretty good paycheck. You know, so he was going to do everything he can not to take Jackson off because Jackson will fire him. He, Jackson's done that stuff before. You don't, you don't do what I say. You're sure, gonna, sure, yeah. You know? No, you get to, you get shut out of the uh, of the inner circle. Yeah, I saw this list of drugs they gave him, and it's just, I mean, it's it's pretty astounding actually. Yeah, that the, I mean, you know, the, the, it was about every ninety minutes or something he was jacking the guy up. So it's, uh, I'll, you know, it'll be interesting to see how how much of an airtight case 
In other words, how much pre-work they think they got to do before they can, you know, before they can go serve him or arrest him or whatever oh, it is they're going to do. They're doing a lot. I mean, it's been over two months now, and they still have not released officially a cause of death. And the LAPD has not said, uh, not, not just the LAPD, but the DEA, the FBI, everybody's involved in this investigation to some, uh, in one, some way, shape, or form. And no one's talking about anything officially yet. So they're really making sure... I hate to keep using this, but that all the T's are crossed and, right. and the I's are dotted. They're making sure they got the exact case before they ask the DA for charges. And then when they go to the DA, the DA is going to scrutinize it too if he's not already. And then they're going to, if they bring charges, man, they're going to really, at least they're going to think they have something. That they've got a nail. Yeah. All right. On that note, my friend, have a fantastic day. We will talk to you very soon. Thank you very much. CNN radio correspondent Jim Roop in Los Angeles. And, uh, oh, by the way, they arrested the fallout uh, boy guy. He's in the fallout man. He's in the... Pete Wentz? No, no, it's the singer. The guy, oh, the the guy who actually, the guy who does all the work and writes everything. Uh, <laughs> Patrick, the talented one, Patrick Stump. What an unfortunate name that is. Patrick, he's the guy, he looks like a fat Michael Cera. You know that guy? Yeah, he's... Uh, he got arrested. In, it's like this. It's like the sissiest thing. It was like for a, like a moving violation in Beverly Hills or something. But he's in jail, so he must have had some outstanding something or other, like a bench warrant. I think he was arrested uh, allegedly. I'm not sure, but for the pot. Well, he has a mugshot. Yeah. So I, I think uh, that there was something to do with uh, weed that he was involved with. He either got arrested before, or 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 he had a bench warrant for something, and they arrested him this time because I saw his mugshot where he looks, you know, where he looks all delicate. Straight ahead, we have more news from Tim Riley, ladies and uh, gentlefolk. Right now, if you're calling number 10 at 503-228-4101, you're going to get yourself a pair of passes to see Inglorious Bastards. You win the soundtrack to that film as well. They're good at any Regal Cinema in the Portland area. That's caller 10 right now. It's the Rick Emerson Show, live from Portland. The Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Broadcasting in low definition. Are you just going to let me bleed out? The Rick Emerson Show returns. This is Rock 101 KUFO. You freak me out. I don't mind saying it. Has it has to be from True Blood or something. Maybe. It was kind of cool that the Twilight guy mentioned True Blood. I. Uh-huh. It's kind of everybody you, mentions True Blood. But you know, you wonder if you're allowed to do that. If you're, we talked to Peter uh, Fashionelli from uh, Twilight earlier today. He's Dr. Carlisle Cullen. You can hear that on the uh, podcast, by the way, anytime, day or night, twenty-four hours a day. Uh, KUFO. dot com. Uh, but he mentioned, you know, the vampire thing and and, and True Blood. And it, but you just don't you you wonder if that's like gauche if it's rude somehow to mention True Blood to the guy who's in Twilight if it's like a Beatles, mm. Stones, Blur, Oasis. Kind that's of true because uh, Stephen, uh, whatever his name is from True Blood, was like talking some smack about. Oh, the Twilight. actor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did you see the thing where Brad Pitt allegedly said that he was calling out Tom Cruise of all like like you need to dog on Tom Cruise <laughs> at this point where he was you know. He was presumably in his idiot southern twang of a voice, uh, saying "Inglorious Bastards" is the greatest film ever made, and uh, you know, and he was he was he was busting on that Valkyrie movie that Tom Cruise made, which is actually not bad. Valkyrie's not a bad film; mm. it's not tremendously interesting. It's kind of it's kind of flat, but um, that sums up the whole day right there. That is the <laughs> entire day in a small, irritating. That microcosm. was kind of a bullet point. <laughs> It really was. Let's pay a final visit at the news desk with your personal savior, Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. Good morning from the KUFO News Center in downtown Portland. It is now 848. It's going to be in the 80s today. 90s tomorrow. Sorry, I'm sorry. I, I have this facial expression right now. Tim and Sarah looking at me like uh, uh, like something bad just happened. I just read an email. It's totally unrelated okay. to anything else. Just as you were starting the news... My email updated, 
And I looked and somebody suggested the most brilliant thing. Uh, a little backstory here. Occasionally, we'll be doing the show and Sarah or somebody w- will get an email. And it's during the... You should know that I never keep my business email open during the program. Because, you know, if, if my house is burned down or maybe I've been fired, I'd prefer to find out after I get off the air. I, I don't need to know that when I'm when I'm doing the show. But occasionally I'll look over and Sarah's face will like she'll have an expression and like she'll go white or like her mouth will be open a little bit. And clearly it's that something momentous has happened. And then we're all distracted because we can see from her expression that something some email just arrived that has big news in it. Mm -hmm. So I apologize. I just did that. It's not big news. It's just that, you know, for the longest time, we've been trying to replace the Jackson watch theme. Can you play just do you have the Jackson watch? Here's what we've been using for our Jackson watch theme. This is while he was alive. Obviously, we were. So we've been using that forever, but not that it was ever in good taste, but it seems especially inappropriate now. Uh, and it just seems it's just inaccurate. So we've been lamenting that we don't have a Jackson watch theme. I'm like, what should it be? Somebody just emailed me the greatest suggestion for a Jackson watch theme. <laughs> and I don't even think I should say it. I think I should put it together tonight. I should produce it and then spring it tomorrow. So can we start the show with it tomorrow? Maybe. I'm going to have to edit it together because I think it, it, it'll need a little bit of work uh, to make it really function. So uh, what is your name? Ian? Ian, thank you, sir. Ian, who just sent in a suggestion for the new Jackson Watch theme. I uh, I sense good things. I think this will... Uh, I have a good feeling about this. I think this will work. All right. I'm sorry, Tim. Did we, let's do a final wrap-up on the, on the Ted Kennedy story for today, and then uh, we'll bring the curtain down on this whole thing. Well, President Obama vacationing at Martha's Vineyard, never got to see Senator Ted Kennedy, who passed away last night at the Kennedy compound at the age of 77. He did make some public comments just a little while ago. He said Senator Kennedy enjoyed wide respect and adoration. The outpouring of love, gratitude, and fond memories to which we've all borne witness is a testament to the way this singular figure in American history touched so many lives. Obama talked about Kennedy's influence and legislative accomplishments of nearly 50 years of public service. His ideas and ideals are stamped on scores of laws and reflected in millions of lives. Kennedy fought a good fight while earning wide respect in the Senate. I can think of no one who who engendered greater respect or affection from members of both sides of the aisle. His seriousness of purpose was perpetually matched by humility, warmth, and good cheer. So the question being asked now, what happens to the Kennedy compound? Uh, Ted was the last person to really be living there, so now it may be turned into a museum. I want a compound. I want to live in a fortified compound like Hunter Thompson did with landmines, just to keep everybody away from me. You know what I mean? Just uh, the, with a big like, moat. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, like 40 acres in every direction that no one can tread upon. The Kennedy compound is is something I'd like to see. Actually, I wish I I hope they turn it into some sort of a publicly tourable museum because you you hear reference often it is in a weird way it's sort of like a political graceland mm-hmm. you know because it's a it's a famous celebrity home that is also it just seems larger than life here's a dumb question Tim why do they call it camelot what is it what is that about well that goes back to the days of uh, the president jackie kennedy and that was their inauguration theme camelot oh i see i didn't know that yeah and camelot camelot mm-hmm. all right why and all that, that fancy dressing up with the top hats and the uh, Lincolns with the suicide doors. Yeah. All part of Camelot, the mystique. Don Draper's White House, mm-hmm. what that was. Absolutely. Right. By the way, singing part of Camelot, that's the other way you get the uh, male 18 to 44 demographic right there. Next, I'm going to sing something from Pirates of Penzance. <laughs> yeah, but I can hear that at the next heavy metal concert. Somebody doing that. <laughs> yes, that's right, Tim. That'll be the next thing that Mudvayne screamed when they're not busy shrieking profanities into your neighborhood. 
Tomorrow we should read the letter from that. Uh, there's some pissed off email from some woman. That'd be that'd be funny to to make it good with that woman. They should come back and sing something from Camelot on stage. We got this angry, angry email from somebody. My children were exposed to profanity from the Mudvayne concert, and it was a, it was like I guess that the guy was screaming, and it was sort of floating through the ether and uh, landing right in your neighborhood. It was. You did note that if you didn't work for KUFO, you probably would have been one of those people calling to complain to see if you could have the homeowners association go and duct tape that guy. Well, I knew it wasn't our fault. No, of course not. Tim. one can't control the rock. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's do one more here, and then we'll uh, wrap everything up. Coming soon, Mini Meth Labs. Get ready. Yes, they're uh, apparently sweeping the nation. This is called Shake and Bake Meth. It can be cooked with nothing more than an empty bottle, over-the-counter cold medication, and household cleaners. This according to the Oregon Meth Task Force. Uh, they said this new formula is taken off in other parts of the country. Why not here? It would be a bad thing, really. I so far, no many shake-and-bake labs have been located in Oregon, but maybe franchises are available. That's the thing. I think it's they're difficult to spot, though, because they're so small. They're the doing t- more with less. Well, that's, that's as are we all, Tim. The the, uh, the telltale way that you discover a meth lab is that they just blow up, or there's like an acrid smoke billowing out of your windows. But I think with this, they said that it's actually so small... You could just like duck into your closet and like uh you know and and just have it working in there and it would never it doesn't have any of the sort of uh, giveaways that a regular math lab does you know it's Yankee ingenuity is what it is I for one welcome our new meth overlords <laughs> we should note by the way uh, as part of something entirely separate from meth labs uh, the KUFO half off sale uh, continues this Friday it's a Friday 9 a.m. that is the day after tomorrow tomorrow uh, will be Thursday which means it's Friday at 9 a.m. it's just two days away when you can get the half off sale uh, working for you with such things as a gift certificate to the Thirsty Lion Pub European flavor right in downtown Portland serving lunch dinner and beverages seven days a week American favorites British fare as well and a list of uh, domestic and import drafts and sports on their 50 inch plasma screen that is the KUFO half-off uh, deal that is continuing this Friday at KUFO.com. You can get yourself a $25 gift certificate to the Thirsty Lion Pub for half-off. And you can uh, win one of those right now, actually, uh, before you can buy it at 503-228-4101. 503-228-4101 if you are caller 10. That wasn't me. I didn't even have my hands on the freaking computer. I'm just standing here. I'm just, I think you're wishing for it. And it's I'm coming not touching true. anything. No, this is me. There we go. That's my Windows noise. Jesus, God Almighty! What's a stroke feel like? Oh wait, I <laughs> win. All right then. Join us tomorrow when we will have as our guest Tommy Wusso, the auteur behind the room, as well as Pat Jankowitz, author of uh, "Just When You Thought It Was Safe to Go Back in the Water," the Jaws companion book, as well as mystery guest. We want to thank CNN Radio correspondents Bob Costantini and Lisa Desjardins. Also from Twilight, Peter Facinelli from The Oregonian, Ryan White, and Jim Roop from Los Angeles. Rick Emerson produced today and every day with a lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon for Rock 101 KUFO in the newsroom. Tim Riley in the phones. Greg Nibbler, the gatekeeper. Dave's in. Webmistress Bridget from upstairs. Alpha Broadcasting Marketing Guru Susan. Don't F with me Reynolds. Executive producer Christopher J. Paddock. Coming up next, it is Smells Like the 90s with our good friend Buzz. It is Wednesday, August 26, 2009, and that is the frequency kenneth i'm rick emerson see you all tomorrow and goodbye now Barack Obama! attention broadcasters in the greater portland area your daily show prep is now concluded thank you for listening